Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, it's interesting um, that I think the rest of uh, the broadcast media pretty much on vacation this week. You know, the politicians are going to be out at the barbecues and uh, other hot places. <laughs> well, it's pretty hot most of the country. Not so much... Uh, Apparently, the Northeast is having some rain. It's like 65 degrees. I was checking on a friend of mine's post. But down here in Florida, it's hot. And it's going to be hot. It's been hot. We've been in a heat wave for about a week and a half, and we're all sick of it. So let me give you this current temperature. It is now in Milton, Florida, on the Gulf Coast. It's uh, 77, and it's, what, 7 o'clock in the morning. That's going to be going up to 90, 91. Oh, we're getting a break. Well, it looks like it's going to rain all afternoon, too. So we should be getting out of our heat wave. No, we're not. <laughs> so it's going to be 90s all week. So this is this is the toughest time to be in Florida. Um, uh, well, certainly up in the Panhandle. A lot of times it's just really nice. Spring is nice. Fall is nice. Winter, we actually had snow in the winter uh, up here in the Panhandle. So, so the winters can be fairly cold. Um, but uh, summer, yeah, it's a little bit oppressive right now. Anyway, so that's what's going on. So the, the political temperature is up. The, the uh, Everything's happening. But uh, this week, everybody's taking a break. And so we got fireworks. We started our independence. Um, I think the ultimate irony to me, is a nation that is so, I guess, blind or conditioned, not from the country we used to be, you know, because they, they would never put up with this um, back uh, 200 years ago, and they, they wouldn't put up with 100 years. They might not even put up with this 50 years ago. But today, for some reason, we have an illegal government. It was stolen in a, in a violent act where they actually used other people and blamed them for violence when they were committing a violent act themselves. Uh, in other words, murdering Ashley Babbitt and... Uh, uh, there's a couple of other, I keep forgetting the other woman that was killed, um, the, the woman who was basically, you know, I guess trampled and some other horrible things happened to her. Um, and so, and, but these people were used as the scapegoats and the political prisoners in the D.C. Gulag. And why the states haven't shown up with the National Guard to, to bring their people out, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what's the point of having a governor and belonging and being a, a citizen of a state if that state's not going to come rescue you from an unjust political prison term uh, in the D.C. Gulag? So I'm not sure what's happening there. If I were governor of a state, I'd be, I would have brought my National Guard and said, okay, my people are coming out now. Uh, and that's it. And you can't do that. You can't attack Washington. Why not? Of course you can uh, Marco just checked in. So Marco's in the Netherlands. So Marco, this, this is probably the only live media. Well, I mean, there are other folks reporting, of course. But uh, as far as talk shows, most of them, they're all taking a break. But as I was just explaining, Marco, the, the, uh, to everybody else here, the ultimate, ultimate irony is a nation that prides itself of being the, the land of the free and the home of the brave is, is the land of, of idiots and, and the home of cowards right now because we're celebrating our independence from Britain at the very time we're under a tyrannical coup d'etat of a stolen government, which uh, basically you know, violently overthrew the government by uh, staging um, a whole bunch of folks to come in, uh, and the violence was kicked off by their own people, FBI uh, operatives, uh, mercenaries, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, anybody that the, uh, the, the deep state paid off to create violence within the Capitol as a pretense for moving Congress below the Capitol so they could then be worked on um, so that they would come up uh, favoring Brandon after seven hours of God knows what, because nobody's talking about it. I mean, we can speculate. 
Um, but uh, I'm trying to get uh, my own congressman, Matt Gates, you know, back on the show. And that's the very first question I'm going to ask him is what were you guys doing for seven hours under the Capitol while uh, they were using Trump supporters as an excuse to call it a violent insurrection and take over the government? So you can't celebrate your Independence Day under a coup d'etat because we're not independent. OK, and this is the thing everybody seems to miss. You know, everybody's talking about impeaching Brandon. Oh, you got to impeach Brandon. Well, you can't impeach Brandon. Because you can only impeach people that were either duly elected or duly appointed. And he's neither of those. He's an illegal occupant of the White House. You don't impeach him. You arrest him. You arrest him for insurrection. You arrest him for uh, uh, violent overthrow of the government. You arrest him. I don't, it's not quite treason because we're not at war. But if we're at war, it's fairly treason to overthrow the government. And that's what the, the, the union wanted to do to the South. They wanted them all arrested for treason for trying to overthrow the union even though the South was a separate government within, uh, you know, these United States. Um, I'm not justifying the Confederacy, which was all Democrats, by the way, um, but it's just fascinating the way this goes. So how are these hypocrites, how are these politicians, how are these complete and total morons going to get up and say, we're the greatest, freest country in the world, even though we're under a tyrannical insurrectionist uh, stolen government through a coup d'etat? You can't say that. You can't say that in good conscience. And where's the, where are the, uh, I guess there are, there are very few journalists left because the, none of them are saying it except me, <laughs> but that's normal. That's normal for this country. I mean, I, I found myself the only one saying all kinds of things. In fact, there's a meme out there. A friend of mine showed me, um, young friend who, you know, sort of like finding her way in the world. It's really kind of, this is why I love dealing with young folks. because they're fascinating. Anyway, so pointed out this thing and said, uh, it was like, there was a, a meme where one person said, you're all wrong. And, uh, you know, it's like, does the majority, you know, have to be all wrong? You know, if one person says they're right, it was, sometimes it's not a question of right and wrong. Sometimes it's a question of uh, two positions, both of which may be valid, but you have to select one because that's the one that's correct for you. But the question is, do you have the courage to stand up to the mob, you know, if, uh, if you're convinced the mob is wrong? And the answer is, yes, you have to. That's what I do. That's what a lot of folks do. Not just me. I mean, I just, I'm the one here, you know, broadcasting right now. But, um, but you have to have that. So what I'm saying now is that you cannot, as a nation, celebrate independence when you're not independent. You cannot celebrate being the land of the free and the home of the brave when we're a land of cowards and uh, kowtowed, you know, bought-off politicians that believe in the deep state. They believe in the government selecting the government. So the government that we have now is not a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, as, as, uh, as Lincoln said, Abraham Lincoln said. We are a government of the government, by the government, and for the government. That's why I wrote the article, The Nation of Government. Look it up. It's on my substack, gregpanglos.substack.com. I'll write that down here. So Um, And then I'll put here the nation of government. The nation of government. So if you want to understand the United States, Mark, that's where you go. <laughs> go to my Substack and read the nation of government. It's all about how Washington, D.C. has become its own country and the states are colonies. And how the national government, uh, it becomes, it's, it's a government that actually becomes a country. That's what it's all about. And that's what's happened. Our, our federal government has become a country. You know, omnipotent, all-powerful, um, basically making up their own powers as they go. And they think it's okay because of uh, the supremacy clause in the Constitution, which says they are the supreme law of the land. No, that's not what it says. It says the Constitution is the supreme law of the land where the United States has jurisdiction as delegated by the states through the Constitution. That's what it says. 
And so we're living in this fascinating twilight zone where people are running around. They're going to celebrate and they're going to have barbecues and there's a festivities here in Milton, Florida, where I am. Right? Now, granted, we were the first place that actually had a Mardi Gras parade. When everybody else is wearing masks and living in fear and separating themselves by six feet, which is meaningless for aerosols to go 200 feet, you know, and uh, central air conditioning that can take a, a virus and spread it over a 10-floor office building in about two minutes. Uh, these people are wearing masks and keeping six feet apart. It's really laughable. That six feet, by the way, came from a, a scientist in the 1800s that was talking about droplets because droplets can only go about, you know, I guess less than six feet before they drop and hit the ground. Well, that's fine for droplets, but an aerosol, which is very, very fine droplets, like a mist, Hey, it could go, who knows how far, hundreds of yards probably, you know, they float around. Have you ever seen fog? Fog is a mist, you know, it covers, you know, hundreds of square miles sometimes. Anyway, that's beside the point. But the point is you cannot celebrate being the land of the free and the home of the brave unless the free and the brave are actually standing up and saying that we are under a coup d'etat. We are under an illegal government. You don't impeach these people. You arrest them. Well, who's going to arrest them? Because the people that chose them are the government themselves. Okay, so the government is supposed to protect us from the from the very people who would do this, but the very people who did this are the government themselves, and so the government is not going to arrest the government because they did this so they could stay in power. They want to give power to the we the people. Interaction Radio. Our job is to take that power away by writing the laws that we consent to be governed by, by writing good, just, and and simple to understand laws that we then you know pressure if necessary the Congress, state legislatures, the school boards, the city councils, and the uh, county commissions to pass. Because we want our country back. Everybody's like, oh, let's take back America. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't want to take back America. Well, that's great. It's a good pontification speech. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything unless you have a plan. See, at Action Radio, we actually do have a plan. We have bills on vaccine product liability. We have bills on ending big tech censorship. We have bills of disarming the federal government of all their unconstitutional arms. And that would be probably a million guns and several billion rounds of ammunition, giving it back to the people. We have bills that uh, would have an electronic storage vault. So anything created in a, in a regulatory agency would be duplicated in a vault in Congress. So they wouldn't have to wait five years for documents. You know, they just just subpoena them and then they appear from the vault. You know, we have bills that get rid of your uh, uh, tax uh, during the time that you're uh, earning your standard deduction because that money comes back to you anyway. Right. So why, why should you be taxed on that? So that should be not collected. So if they don't collect it, of course, you, you, well, gee, what about my refund? Well, you got it a year early, idiot, <laughs> you know, because the money wasn't taken. So would you rather spend the money this year or have to wait to get it from next year when it's worth less, <laughs> you know, because of inflation, which is also engineered by the powers that be? Anyway, so, so this is the problem. So the state of the nation, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be very very special day here at Action Radio. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not even going to tell you who's on. I, I, I was on the list, you know. So over the weekend, actually it was Saturday night, about well, Sunday, between Saturday night and Sunday morning, somewhere around 11.30 Saturday and 1 o'clock Sunday morning, um, I, I worked on this, and I actually divided up the, uh, the Declaration of Independence to seven approximately equal parts for people to read. And we've got a mixture. We've got, a, we've got some reporters and we've got some guests. And it's a really interesting group that's coming together this year. And so the fun part is actually uh, the reading is really meaningful, but to where it gets really interesting for, for me is the discussion afterwards. And the question is, what is the state of our liberty? Well, our liberty is non-existent uh, in terms of the government because the government chose the government, uh, couldn't care less about the people, um, and actually picked a government that they wanted so they could maintain wealth, status, and privilege. That's what they did. That's why they chose it. That's why they don't want Trump. They don't want Kennedy either. So this, to me, the ideal ticket next time is Trump-Kennedy. Why? Well, it's a Republican and a Democrat. Well, there are no Republicans and Democrats anymore. There's just deep state and Americans. 
you know, deep state is its own entity. It's its own country. It's its own, you know, shat- it's not such a shadow government, but it's, it's a separate government uh, from the constitutional government. So it's deep state versus versus the you know the constitution. So you can't be both. You can't be deep state or or be and be constitutional because the deep state's unconstitutional because they you know committed a coup d'état and stole the government. All right. So that's where we start that question. So you don't you don't impeach Biden, you arrest him, and everybody else too, and you you arrest everybody that's running the shadow government that that stole the government so they could be still in power. Obama, Susan Rice, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, whoever's behind the scenes. I don't even know. That's why I need a big hearing. So the first thing that the uh, Republicans should have done under Kevin McDeep State was to have the House Select Committee on the stolen 2020 election and the coup d'etat. And that's what they should have titled it. And, of course, the media would have gone crazy and the left would have gone crazy and the Republican geldings would have you know, acquiesced and, and went along with it because that's what they do. But it wouldn't matter. It's still the right thing to do. So they should have done it. And if Congress wouldn't do it, then the House Freedom Caucus should uh, have held an off-capital uh, building hearing and brought in all the movies, you know, like Nick Searcy's film and, uh, you know, 2,000 Mules and all. And they should have presented all the evidence of vote fraud. And this would have taken months because there's so much evidence of vote fraud. So I love when the Lord says, well, there's no evidence of vote fraud. No, there's just no evidence that you will look at. There's plenty of evidence of vote fraud, but it doesn't matter because you're not going to look at it. This is why I never argue evidence with, with, left, with liberals or leftists. Because, you know, I said, look, you're not going to look at the evidence, so there's no point in me talking about it. So let's just go with simple logic. Is it logical that Brandon, you know, in a declining military, uh, mental state, could have uh, beaten Donald Trump, who made America fabulous in only four years? And the answer is that's impossible. Why would anybody substitute a president that made your life great for someone who, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense, has always been wrong, and is going to make your life suck? <laughs> that's just not logical, right? It's impossible to believe that unless you're, you know, a government privilege uh, uh, status person who wants wealth, status, and privilege, like the deep state does. All right, so let's get on to today's topic. So the title of the show today is, I don't even know, I keep forgetting, Supreme Court uses, quote, standing to cancel cases they don't like. Okay, so let me briefly summarize what this is. Um, Jonathan has talked about it several times. Jonathan loves this topic because it's, it's totally imaginary. So as we've gone over the Supreme Court, and apparently the Supreme Court shows are not our most popular, um, but I think they're some of our most valuable. And so I would rather trade popularity for value. And the reason I do that is because the Supreme Court has a profound effect on the lives of every American, whether you know it or not. And generally, most people don't know. But the Supreme Court has a profound effect. And the Supreme Court's not supposed to have a profound effect on the lives of every American. Why? Because they're just supposed to settle cases. Right. So we already read that. We read that Article Three. These are the cases. Let me get Article Three again from my my beautiful bound Constitution copy that uh, that my kid gave me. <laughs> it's really nice. Anyway, so I didn't want to use it because I figured it was you know too nice to use. And now I'm thinking, ah, I'm going to use it all the time. Let's let's make it look old <laughs> from from use. So Article Three of the Constitution is pretty clear. Uh, and now here's so let me just go over it one more time. Just so, you know, so you see me flipping, flipping, I'm flipping through pages. Article three. Ah, here we go. I'm going to put my bookmark right there. <clears throat> Article three: The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court. And Supreme is actually lowercase. It's interesting. They didn't write uh, capital Supreme Court. They were lowercase Supreme, and then Court is in capital. Uh, this is capital C for Court, but not a lowercase S for Supreme. I found that interesting. And in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish, which means they can unestablish them. 
the judges, not, not justices, the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. And shall, stated times, you know, get paid for it. Okay, fine. Section two, the judicial power shall be extended to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, which also means that the judicial power shall be excluded from all cases um, in law and equity that do not arise under this Constitution. <laughs> you know, so in other words, they are supposed to take cases that, um, in law and equity, that need the Constitution to solve them. So, because they're arising under the Constitution. In other words, there's a constitutional principle involved. That makes sense. Then it says, and it also says the laws of the United States. That makes sense. And the treaties made. That makes sense. Because if it's treaty, it becomes U.S. law if ratified by the Senate uh, and signed by the President. So that's how it works. Check and balance on that. This is under their, you know, it says or treaties which shall be made under their authority. In other words, if a president goes and signs a treaty, it's meaningless. It's not valid unless the Senate ratifies it too. That's just check and balance, right? Then it says, to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, that's like international law, right? To all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, that's anything in the high seas, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party. Yeah, you want to sue the country, sue the government, like, I don't know, January 6th, you know, to controversies between two or more states. Yeah, this, this is the one they, they, they don't like, right? They keep forgetting that one. They say, oh, but it's a controversy between two or more states, but we're not going to take it anyway, because... One of the parties doesn't have standing, and this is why we're, this is where I'm getting to. Contrary to more states, uh, between the state and citizens of another state, actually that was, um, I think the, the 11th uh, Amendment got rid of that, which is really too bad. The 11th Amendment sucks. It says the citizens can't sue their own state or sue another state. Well, why not? You know, a lot of people uh, loan money to uh, uh, this, the, the colonies, the, which became states after the War for Independence, and afterwards they want to get paid back, and the state said, no, we don't have to pay you. Well, I'm going to sue you. Well, then they went to uh, Congress, got a, um, got a constitutional amendment, said that the citizens can't sue for the money that they loaned uh, the states. States just wanted to keep the money, so they figured they're powerful. This is, this is like the original corruption of the country. This, the first 10 amendments to the Bill of Rights was good, and everything after that's pretty much been lousy. <laughs> Every amendment since up to the 28th, I think we're up to now, uh, have kind of sucked. Um, well, a few of them are kind of good, 14th, 13th. You know, some different things like that. Anyway, I shouldn't speak so generally unless I go over all the amendments. Anyway, it says all cases, you know, the, in all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction. Okay. Uh, so, and it says, anyway, the, the cases mentioned, ambassadors, you know, between the states, things like that, right? The court shall have original jurisdiction, which means they go there first. But it also means they go there. <laughs> so they can't just dump those cases. Then it says in all the cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction, which means they go another to a lower court first, both as law and fact and with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. So if the case does not get to the Supreme Court, the Congress makes a regulation that says it doesn't. Well, what the Congress should do is immediately pass regulations that say the, 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 the Supreme Court can only handle cases you know, arising out of the Constitution as written. You know, they can't make up stuff. They can only exercise judicial review, in other words, declaring a law unconstitutional, uh, if that's all they're doing. But they're actually using the Constitution and not interpreting it. So those are the regulations. That, in fact, if they're not going to do it, I will. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to have to put uh, congressional, this will be my next bill, reg, regs for Supreme Court. Yeah, oh, I actually have a bill that gets rid of... Uh, uh, judicial review, but uh, I'm going to take a look at this. We'll see what uh, we'll see what we can do with that. That's one of the things that has to be done. So what the Supreme Court said was, well, if we have a jurisdiction during these cases, 
um, then if someone uh, doesn't fall into these cases, uh, or if they do fall into these cases, they also have to prove they have standing. In other words, the right to sue. That's a standing. A standing is the right to sue. So, so not only do they say that the Constitution doesn't mean what it says, where the, the court has original and appellate jurisdiction in these specific areas and no others, you know, it says that, uh, you know, they can decide if a party has standing before they even get to the court. This is a fascinating concept. And then the court not only did that under their judicial review power, they said they can take cases that, uh, you know, any, any case they want. And they can actually make up constitutional doctrine, like the, 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 the privacy right. Privacy is usually a right of one person to keep things private. That's what privacy is, right? But the Supreme Court said, no, privacy is where a woman and a doctor can decide whether a baby will be born and a, and a man will be a father. That's what they said. Well, that's four people, doctor, mother, baby, and father. That's four people. Well, that's not private because you get other people's lives involved. And yet they said that uh, uh, that's, a, that's a doctrine of privacy found in the penumbra uh, of the Constitution. In other words, they made it up. Well, we think it's there. Same thing with judicial review. Well, Congress you know, intended us for us to have this power, so we're just going to use it. And Alexander Hamilton is the big one who said that. So my next project is to look up uh, Alexander Hamilton. I'm going to call him Al, you know, Al, Alex Hamilton. And I think it's Federalist 78. Maybe I'll bring this for tomorrow, Federalist 78, where he says, of course, the Supreme Court shall have the power to, to uh, rule on the constitutionality of things. They can, as long as it comes up under, those, under Article 3, under the areas they're allowed to uh, take cases on. So what the Supreme Court, well, I'll, I'll explain it to you. The Supreme Court basically gave itself the power to determine whether other people have a right to bring a case to the Supreme Court. And if they say they don't have a right to bring a case, then they don't even have to take the case, even though the Constitution mandates that they take the case. It's really kind of interesting. So what I want to find out is the anti-federalist. Okay? So you notice that these people, these, these pro-authoritarian uh, sources, they never mention um, the anti-federalist paper that was written to criticize make fun of, satirize, or otherwise prove uh, the insanity of the Federalist paper. So the Anti-Federalist paper is actually far more interesting, which is why I call myself an Anti-Federalist. So let's, 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 uh, let's kind of, you know, weed, you know uh, weed into these things and see what we come up with. And so I've got a bunch of articles here. If you want to call 215-383-3832, if you want to live chat, live chat's open. Uh, and again, Jonathan's going to be here at the top of the hour. Not sure how long Jonathan can stay because he's got stuff to do. So, you know, he's, he's a busy guy. You know, we're all busy here. Uh, but this is my primary focus, so I have time to stay. <laughs> That's kind of how that works out. All right. So here's an article, Standing, What Is It and Why It Matters to the Supreme Court and to Us? And this is America's Voice Online, January 26th of 2016. So this would be five days. No, this would be uh, not five days in the Trump administration, but a year later. Uh, this would be, uh, what, 10 months before Trump gets elected. So these are the last waning days of the Obama administration, second term, lame duck. And so January was campaign, it's when campaign season, you know, really gets going. I think the primaries, uh, uh, if they're not happening already, they're, they're, they're kicking into high gear. And of course, then you have the nominations in, in August, you have elections in November. Uh, and then you have the presidential inaugural uh, in January, assuming that the election was, you know, free and fair, which, of course, it wasn't in 2020. It was stolen. OK, so it says standing. What is it and why it matters to the Supreme Court and to us? America's Voice Online, January 26, 2016, written by, I don't know. It's, they don't give you an author. It just is America's Voice. It says SCOTUS 101, standing. So SCOTUS is Supreme Court of the United States, S-C-O-T-U-S. I don't like these terms. They sound weird, so I would just call it the Supreme Court. 
And it says this is the first in a series of explainers about the U.S. v. Texas immigration case the Supreme Court agreed to take in 2015. So Texas is always suing the federal government for screwing up and not following their own laws because the federal government is always screwing up and not following their own laws, right? That's how it works. An immigration case the Supreme Court agreed to take up in 2015. They will explain important legal terms in ways that we hope you'll find understandable. Today, we'll explain the issue of standing. <clears throat> Basically, they're going to lie about it. <laughs> so I'm going to point out where they're lying about it. But that's mostly what I do here. See, I can't find articles uh, a lot of times affirming my position. Uh, it's not that they don't exist. It's just that the, uh, the Google left-wing uh, DuckDuckGo you know, search engines take all the, the good articles and hide them. And they hide them way at the end of, of the algorithmic search, if you can find them at all. A lot of times they just suppress them so you don't get them. So I'm quite content to argue the opposite, and I believe my arguments are, are cogent and uh, thorough enough that uh, it's pretty obvious you know, where these people are lying. So then it's a standing. What is it and why it matters to the Supreme Court and us? When the Supreme Court hears arguments on the immigration executive action case, the first question the justices, in other words, judges, will have to decide is whether Texas and the other states on this lawsuit even have the right to sue. And, of course, the argument is, yes, they do under Article 3 when it specifically mentions, you know, cases between the states. Okay, so they obviously have a right to sue, guaranteed by that article. And let me read it to you again. It's really clear. But, the, but it's fascinating how they lie because they lie so well. It's hard to pick it up sometimes. So it says right here, uh, it says the judicial power should extend to all cases in law and equity to controversies between two or more states. So anytime you have a controversy between one state and another state or multiple states, that has to go to the Supreme Court in, quote, original jurisdiction. I mean, it goes there first. It doesn't go anywhere else. It goes right to the Supreme Court. Any controversy between any two states or more goes directly to the Constitution per Article 3. That's the mandate. See, but the court doesn't want to do that. So they, they, they made up this thing called standing. And this is why it's so fascinating, because it affects so many different cases. I wanted to spend, you know, today on that. And then, of course, tomorrow, Declaration of Independence. And by Wednesday, I'll be exhausted. I won't know what to do, because <laughs> tomorrow's such a big day. All right. So it says, uh, of course, and just what to decide is whether Texas and the other states on this lawsuit even have a right to sue. That's called, quote, standing. And it's important because not every disagreement has the right to be aired out in a court just because one party is upset. Now, that's a true statement. Okay. So a lot of these true statements are actually couched in lies. Uh, or lies are derived from true statements, so you really don't know the difference. So the true statement is that, uh, let me pull it up again here, uh, because not every disagreement has a right to be aired out in a federal court just because one party is, is upset. That is absolutely true. But what's not true is that this thing called standing uh, exists, that uh, they can just decide not to take a case that the Constitution clearly mandates that they do take. So you can't. So this is this is where made up. So this is where made up powers get to the Supreme Court and us in trouble. Then it says standing is a legal term, which determines whether the party bringing the lawsuit has a right to do so. Standing is not about the issues. Well, that's for sure. It is about who is bringing the lawsuit and whether they have they uh, whether they they should say have a legal right to sue. Key to understanding standing is that federal courts have specific jurisdiction over certain issues. As a general rule, federal courts only have authority to hear actual controversies, a term that does not include political questions. Oh, really? How come they decided the Bush-Gore election? <laughs> that was a political question. It was actually a numbers question, too, but uh, definitely political. Well, you don't think Roe v. Wade was political or the gay marriage was political? Or the, the Colorado case uh, where Colorado said a woman uh, had to violate her, her Christian and personal beliefs? And, and do gay wedding 
you know, websites. That's crazy. Well, good. That's an interesting case. We'll take that up uh, as time goes on, too. Anyway, it says, in this case, Texas brought a lawsuit because it disapproved of President Obama's executive actions on immigration. Well, of course, the real question is, were the actions of President Obama legal under the Constitution? Of course, the answer is no, <laughs> you know, because president cannot take any executive action that is not specifically related to a law that gives that executive action authority. Presidents can act independently. All they can do is act on the laws of Congress to faithfully execute them. Whether they faithfully execute or not is why we have courts. Then it says Texas asserted it had the right to bring its claim to court that it had standing because DAPA and DACA expansion would cost the state money by requiring it to issue driver's licenses to qualified parents and dreamers. All right, so DAPA, I forgot what that stands for, but that's the parents thing. DACA is like the dreamers, which to me are the nightmares. Okay, so in other words, uh, kids that were brought here uh, illegally by their parents uh, was a crime committed by their parents and their parents should be duly charged uh, and deported. And of course, the parents are responsible for the kids, so the kids go home too. Now, over time, a lot of these so-called dreamers became adults. And so uh, what people seem to fail to mention, and I wrote a whole article on this, is the minute those children in this country brought here illegally became adults, they became adults that were here illegally. Okay. And so Obama's answer to that, of course, is to give them citizenship. Well, we can't blame children for what happens. And I don't. I don't blame children for what happens, but I do blame adults. So the minute turned 18, it was their responsibility to go home and apply to come to the United States legally. <laughs> okay? That was what they're supposed to do. And anybody that did that, I would say, you know, I, I, I might even give them priorities. Say, so you know what? You did the right thing. You went back to your home country as an adult. Okay, and you know they speak the language of the home country because that's, that's the language that the parents would have taught them. So that's not a problem. So language isn't a problem. Culture isn't a problem because they have the culture of their parents. So they'd already be more of that country than they would be American. So that's not an issue. Uh, and, of course, at 18, they're young, flexible, strong, and they can do things, right? So you go home, and then you apply as an adult to come back to the United States and say that you're brought to the United States by your parents illegally. You want to do it properly. You want to become a proper immigrant to the United States. And I think the government would have said, great. But you see, they didn't do that. They wanted Obama to sneak him in illegally because they've been here illegally as children. That gave them the right to be here illegally as adults. Well, that's insane. <laughs> that's irrational. That's bogus. That's not true. So both the DACA and the DAPA folks you know, needed to go home. Well, they still haven't yet because our government is full of geldings and deep state operatives that don't care about the Constitution. They just care about money and votes. So that's the problem. Anyway, so Texas did exactly what they're allowed to do, raised the controversy between the states and, and the, between the state of Texas and the United States which is one of those uh, things. Let me see if I just read you once again. <clears throat> so the judicial power shall extend to, to which the United States shall be a party. So if a state sues the United States, then the United States is a party. Okay? So that's, that's a perfectly legitimate uh, lawsuit to bring against the United States at the Supreme Court. Original jurisdiction, that's where it goes. So then the court made up this totally bogus thing called standing and said, well, you can't bring it because you, you have to show that you're personally injured. A, that's not true. And B, of course, Texas is personally injured. Any state's injured that has illegal aliens because they take up space, they take up housing, they take up highways, their kids take up space in schools, uh, they cost money, they need more infrastructure, uh, and they commit crimes. And they're a huge burden. Besides, we have a right to live in a country without illegal aliens. You know, we have a right to live in the country of Americans. Constitution says, we the people of the United States, not we the people or we the people of the world. So once you understand that, you realize the Constitution only covers we, the people of the United States. Doesn't include DAPAs, doesn't include DACAs, doesn't include, you know, dreamer nightmares, doesn't include any of those people. 
That's why illegal aliens don't have any rights because they're not we, the people of the United States. The only exception is is uh, is uh, visa holders who are here temporarily, and I would cut those back anyway, and uh, permanent residents who can't vote and can't serve on a jury. So, you know, nobody ever one understands why it's so important. Now, why would the founders have put uh, the jury clause in there? Because people think, ah, jury duty, I don't want that. That's just uh, meaningless. <laughs> Not when they wrote that. See, the juries are the ones who can overturn laws because the juries are representatives of the people. The jury is the highest power in our judicial system because juries represent the people. Even the Supreme Court has to, uh, is, is subordinate to juries. Why? Because juries represent the people and the court represents the government. And either we're a government under the people or we're not. So that's the whole point of juries. That's why you can't have non-citizens serving on a jury. And, of course, they can't vote either. They can't do anything here because they can't be here. We've had that argument before. Pianchi disagrees with me, but I think he's wrong. Then it says, in this case, Texas brought a lawsuit because it disapproved of – oh, I read that. Uh, It says, then this this article says, but that's a questionable claim, especially because it's mainly an attack on how the president has decided to enforce the immigration law. Well, see, the president can't decide on how to enforce the immigration law. They have, to, they have to faithfully execute the laws written by Congress, right? It says the Supreme Court has already said in other cases that the president has broad authority when it comes to immigration enforcement, including the granting of deferred action. They can't say that. That's what the court is making up powers. We know the court can't make up powers. They can only settle cases you know, arising under the Constitution in law and equity. Right? So it's not that complicated to understand. In fact, it's so simple that you can, once you realize how simple this really is, you can see how all the errors of these people pointing out all these different things. Then it says, nor will the court want to weigh in on issues that could be resolved in the usual political process. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what I haven't quite resolved in my own mind yet is, uh, um, is how the courts can pick cases and not cases. Then it says, we've got another website here, Legal Insurrection. Isn't that a great name for a website? Legal Insurrection. And it's a uh, U.S. Supreme Court denies Texas lawsuit for lack of standing. It's basically the same, uh, same time period, same thing. William A. Jacobson, Friday, December 11th, 2020. So this would have been after the 2020 election. Oh, this is a different lawsuit. <laughs> this is the one where, where Texas said, hey, all these other states committed election fraud. You know, uh, we, you know Brandon's not the president. And of course, Texas was absolutely right. And the Supreme Court was duty-bound under the Constitution that they had to take this case. Why? Because it was a case of controversies between two states and a controversy to which the United States is a party. So they had to take it. And it's an issue under the Constitution. Equal protection, right? Anyway, so, so then it says, Texas, so the court said Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. Well, since the, these offices are national and both the members of Congress, you know, the Senate and the House and the president, you know, elected by different states, uh, especially, uh, yeah, and the senators and, and uh, representatives make national policy, right? The, the regulatory agencies make national policy, you know, from the president who makes national policy. Of course, Texas is affected by that. So to say that Texas was not affected by election fraud in other states is absurd, because if those other states had any effect on the election at all, then the elected, you know, and whether actually it's interesting whether they had an effect on it or not, it doesn't matter. And this court would say, well, it didn't change the outcome of the election. That's the Bill Barr defense. And Texas would say it doesn't matter. It's still vote fraud. Vote fraud is illegal. Vote fraud affects everybody in the nation, regardless if it's only done in a few states. A, because the national offices. B, because it changes, changes the outcome. Well, it, uh, it, it taints the election process. Anyway, 
Our article says the Supreme Court has issued a ruling in the Texas lawsuit challenging election procedures in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, the battleground states that actually had Trump electors. We've talked about this dozens of times. Then it says the lawsuit divided the nation with roughly half the states supporting and opposing the lawsuit respectively. Well, and the Supreme Court's not going to take that? They have to take that. But they didn't. Then it says the court just denied Texas' request to file a bill of complaint. Justice Alito and Thomas would have granted it, but denied any additional relief. We'll say everybody was wrong on that one. <laughs> the whole court was wrong. Then it says the uh, 155 original Texas versus Pennsylvania. The state of Texas' motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article 3 in the Constitution. What's fascinating is there is no standing in Article 3 of the Constitution. I read the Article 3. It's not there. Court made it up. Then it says, Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All of their pending motions are dismissed as moot. We see, they can't say that. So here's, here's the beauty of standing for, for the court and why it's so illegal to even, even propose this ridiculous judicial standard. Because not only does the court get to uh, abdicate its constitutional mandate to take controversies between the states and to controversies to which the United States is a party, They've also found, found a way to say who has the right to sue and who doesn't. So they can simply say to any party that they don't want to take a case, even though they're constitutionally mandated to do it, we've decided that you can't sue. You can't even bring the case. So isn't that, it's perfect for them because they can say we don't have, we, we, we don't take the, we, we're not taking the case because you can't bring it. Well, that's absurd because they did bring it, and it's a perfectly valid case. It's a dispute between the states. But you see, the Supreme Court has given themselves the power to say that they're not. You know, it's not a case that we have to take, and, we, and you don't even have the right to bring that case. <laughs> so they can do anything they want. They can actually make stuff up. And they can make up, because they've made up this concept of standing, they can make up all the rules that determine standing, right? Because they made up standing. So they, so they made up this, this concept of standing. Then they made up what constitutes standing, what doesn't constitute standing, who has a right to sue, understanding, and even if the state proves they do have, they have been injured, the, the Supreme Court can say, well, you, you haven't proved you've been injured. They can simply, simply dis- dismiss the arguments and then say you don't have a right to sue because you don't have standing. So we're not going to take the case. So they can actually change what the, the, the circumstances of the case itself, because they can determine you know, whether, you know, whether it's, it's standing or not, and, and then from something that's completely made up. This is fascinating to me, right? And dangerous. So people that say the Supreme Court doesn't affect you. So because the Supreme Court did not take the Texas case as they were constitutionally mandated to do, we have an illegal occupant in the White House. See, if the Supreme Court took the case, they would have had to deal with it, and it would have been easy to prove that Brandon fraud because they would have brought all the election evidence, which is readily available uh, right after the election. We all knew it. Uh, and the fact that a lot of states, you know, they refused uh, to let Republicans, you know, come in and, and cast their ballots, Republican electors, so they could get the Brandon ones in. I mean, the fraud is so rampant, so obvious, and so, uh, so blatant that uh, the Supreme Court did not take the case makes them part of the coup. Okay? The Supreme Court, the reason they didn't take the case is because the Supreme Court is in on stealing the government. Really bluntly. And what they do is they go through these mental gyrations and tell you all kinds of BS about standing, and they don't have a right to sue because they can't prove personal injury. That's like, that's like Bill Barr saying there was no election fraud because there wasn't enough to change the results. Well, A, that doesn't matter, and B, who is he to judge? He has no idea. He just made it up. Most of the stuff you hear from government is made up. All the statistics, 97% of scientists agree that uh, climate change is uh, an existential threat or a threat to our existence. 
That's not true. <laughs> the people that say that are usually paid to say that, and their grants depend on it. So you can't trust them. They're only saying that because they're getting money. That's, that's called extortion. You know, say that uh, climate change is dangerous, so you're not going to get any money. Okay, climate change is dangerous. Give me my money. <laughs> that's not science. That's bribery and extortion. Okay. But anyway, and it, so getting back to the article, it's a statement of Justice Alito with whom Justice Thomas joins, in my view. We do not have discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our original jurisdiction. Let me say that again. This is a true statement, and it's the only true statement of the entire Texas case. It says, statement of Justice Alito, who's my favorite justice. Clarence Thomas runs a close second, but I think Alito uh, is a little clearer and a little bolder uh, than Clarence Thomas. Well, Thomas is really good. Anyway, Alito's, Alito's the one that wrote the correction for uh, Roe v. Wade and finally uh, got that off the, uh, the books. That was an illegal decision always. Uh, all right, so statement of Alito, who just joins, here it says, in my view, we do not have discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our original jurisdiction. Then he has a case precedent, see Arizona v. California. But you don't need, you don't need a precedent for this. Okay, because it falls within the original jurisdiction. So they never use the Constitution. So the Supreme Court doesn't consider the Constitution valid, not as valid as their own court precedent, which is actually subordinate to the Constitution because the Constitution is the supreme law of the land where the Constitution you know, where it has authority granted to it by the states. Well, it has the authority over the Supreme Court. You know, and the states told the Supreme Court, you have to take controversies between the states and to where the United States is a party. You have to do that. That's what the Constitution says. Court comes along and says, well, we've got this uh, concept of standing we made up, which says we can determine whether someone has a right to even bring the case. That's BS. <laughs> you know, and the Congress should, write to, you know, should get rid of it. They should write regulations saying you have to, you know, th- th- what the Constitution says you have to take, you have to take. And basically they should outlaw the whole concept of standing. Then it says standing is required to sue because the federal courts can only hear actual cases and controversies. What, you don't think that, was an actual, that wasn't an actual case with Texas? It was an actual election fraud. It was an actual stolen government. It was an actual coup d'etat. What could be more actual than that? And it says, to make a, case a con- uh, make a case in controversy, the person filing the lawsuit must have suffered an actual harm. That's not in the Constitution. This is not merely a hypothetical harm. The doctrine of standing can be complicated. Yeah, because it's illegal. But that's a simple explanation. As to the standing problem, uh, here's what Pennsylvania argued. It says, Texas has not suffered harm simply because it dislikes the result of the election. That's not what they said, right? What they said was that the election was a fraud. It's not a legitimate election. So the result is a fraud too. That's what Texas said. Then Pennsylvania says, and nothing in the text history or structure of the Constitution supports Texas' view that it can dictate the manner in which four other states run their elections. Well, they're not dictating the manner in which they run their elections. They're just, they're just demanding that they be done fairly and legally. <laughs> Okay, so you see how everybody argues from a position. They always slant things to their point of view. Then it says, Texas has not suffered. All right, and this is a quote from, I guess, Pennsylvania. Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution limits jurisdiction of the federal courts to resolving cases and controversies. That's true. Arising under the Constitution in law and equity. Then it says that same jurisdiction limitation applies to actions sought to be commenced in the court's original jurisdiction, yada, 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 to establish standing, demanding party must establish a triad of injury, in fact, causation and redressability. That's not true either. That's made up from a court case. 
Then it says more specifically that the plaintiff has suffered injury to a legally protected interest, which injury is, quote, fairly traceable to the challenged action and redressable by a favorable ruling. That's all made up, too. Then it says this court has always insisted on strict compliance with its jurisdictional standing requirement. Well, of course they have, because it gives them power to decide which cases to take and which not, which is a complete violation of the Constitution. Then it says, for invocation of the court's original jurisdiction, the burden is even greater. No, it's not. The Constitution tells you what's your original jurisdiction. Then it says the threatened invasion of rights must be of serious magnitude, as opposed to just magnitude, and it must be established by clear and convincing evidence. That's not true either. (laughs) So in every case along the way, I can refute what these people say, because they're simply lying. They're simply lying because the court wants a way to do whatever they want without criticism and without, uh, re- without problems. All right. So I had so much more I want to talk about. We're going to be busy. We'll see. What, uh, we've still got the third hour. We'll see how long Jonathan has um, to talk to us. I've got one more article to read. I'm going to take a quick break now, play a couple of things. But I've got an article from uh, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, one of my favorite writers. And he really sort of gives you a summary of the cases so far. So it's now 744. We'll take a little break. And I'll be back with this last article before uh, Jonathan gets here, and we will talk further. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. 
She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. I'm back here. It is 7.49, and we've got Jonathan joining us in just a little bit here. But I wanted to get this article by Michael Goodwin uh, in here. And it's uh, Michael Goodwin, G-O-O-D-W-I-N. He is a writer for one of the senior writers for the New York Post, which is one of our oldest um, news sources. And they're great. Uh, they're uh, kind of tabloidish a little bit. You know, the New York Times is the official one, the New York Times, the paper of record, the paper of uh, – original source and, uh, you know, the paper that can be trusted, you know, all of the news that fits their agenda, they print or something like that. Anyway, uh, New York Times is a bunch of BS. New York Post is actually pretty good. So Michael Goodwin, July 1st, which would have been Saturday or Friday, Saturday, says Supreme Court rulings favor American freedom despite what the left thinks. So this is actually a good thing. So the Supreme Court has been doing really well lately. Uh, I don't know why these shows aren't as popular. I guess people don't want to get into the, the nuance um, but uh, it does affect you every day. Anyway, he says, from the Supreme Court uh, to America, happy individual independence day. So he's, he's, really, he's really actually right. He says, okay, the court didn't actually say that, but, it, but its key rulings did. He says, the final cases rang out with a consistent clarity that the Constitution favors individual liberty over group rights and government power. And that is absolutely true. The distinction is what helped make America different from the start. Yet to witness the hysterical outcry against the rulings, Fewer and fewer Americans understand the founding principles. That's true, too. That's why we broadcast, right? He says either that or they want to trash American exceptionalism so they can force everybody to think alike. That's probably closer to the truth. He says you don't have to read the opinions to see the pattern. He says you only have to see who is furiously denouncing the court as a right-wing instrument of hate and exclusion. You know what we think of all those terms, right? Hate is, it, these, terms like hate and exclusion are what the left uses uh, to gain a political victory uh, because nothing is more hateful than a leftist, uh, nor, nor more exclusive than the deep state. Anyway, he says the list includes the usual suspects, 
you know, resident, I can't say president, I'm sorry, uh, insurrectionist Brandon, the New York Times, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and all the petty potentates of the progressive media government complex. He says they are united in demanding more sweeping government power and fewer rights for individuals who dissent from their orthodoxy. It's true, too. He says they distorted descriptions of the rulings. Uh, their, excuse me, their distorted descriptions of the rulings amount to disinformation as they try to rally their shock troops and rile up their donor bases. Expect a fall, a full, a fall onslaught. I guess it is fall. Expect a fall onslaught against the court. More personal attacks on the judges. He says justices and a new surge of demands for court packing. That's when they add more members so they can sway the vote. Right? Uh, in other words, if, if you put five more people on the court and we have a liberal Senate uh, and an illegal president, then uh, it's easy to pack the court with people who are going to be just as illegal as the most recent Judge Jackson, who I still contend got her position on the court uh, through affirmative action because, you know, Brandon wanted a black woman. And uh, she recused herself from the, the Harvard case on affirmative action uh, because she went to Harvard. But I think the real reason she recused herself is because she went to Harvard on affirmative action. But uh, we can talk about that, too. Anyway, he says, selective outrage. The words, this article is hard to read because there's so many um, video things going on to attract my attention away from the words here. It's very distracting. Anyway, uh, he says, selective outrage. The words and subjects change, but the goal is always the same. Far left Democrats want to get from the Supremes what they can't get from Congress. Yeah, exactly what's going on. He says, when the court says no and sticks to the Constitution, it is a threat to democracy. Well, let me say something for the record here. Democracy is a threat to the Constitution. Oh, my God, Greg, what are you talking about? Well, because the Constitution guarantees a republic. Article 4, Section 4, the federal government will guarantee to the states a republican form of government. Well, they're not living up to that. They've actually created a dictatorship from the federal government to the states. So that, that, that's a whole violation right there. That's enough to change the government right there. But they don't do it. Anyway, but that's the thing. So, the only, so democracy is a threat to this country. Uh, how can you say that, Greg? Well, because democracy doesn't take into account individual rights, doesn't take into account due process, doesn't take into account a constitution, doesn't take into account uh, the laws of the land, doesn't take into account anything. Democracy is whatever the majority wants. Well, the majority can be bought. So it's easy to create a majority by giving people things and they'll vote away their rights and vote away their property because they're stupid, <laughs> you know, and there's just enough stupid people to uh, allow tyrants to take over. And that's how tyrants win by democracy. Okay. But if you have rules, you have a constitution, you have established rights, guaranteed a bill of rights, then you don't get a, a dictatorship when those things are followed. The only way we have a dictatorship now is that none of the constitutional things were followed. Anyway, he says an inflammatory headline on Axios captures the madness. Supreme Court rules businesses can refuse service to LGBTQ plus customers. Of course, that's not true, but that's what they said. And it says, he says, in fact, the 6-3 majority ruled a Colorado web designer's First Amendment rights mean she cannot be forced to accept commissions for same-sex weddings that would conflict with her Christian beliefs. He says, in simple terms, her constitutional freedom of speech trumps a state law that would force, force her speech to conform to its, dic, its dictates. This is, and I, I've been reading the Colorado case. I've got uh, uh, what Gorsuch says about the dissent is hysterical. So I'll probably get that to, in the third hour. But this is the case. Colorado said that because of their, their human rights protection and that uh, gay folks are a protected group, 
that she, that this web designer cannot refuse to serve them, even though she never does. Uh, well, she does, but she doesn't. She doesn't create gay wedding stuff, okay? Because she doesn't believe in it. So, so Colorado says you don't have a choice. We are going to tell you what to think, what to say, and we can force you to do it because this is a protected group. So they get to rule over you. Well, that's insane. That's not how this country works. Anyway, so that's what I said in simple terms. Her constitutional freedom of speech trumps a state law that would force her speech to conform. All right. So in the same way, you know, if a business um, made gay wedding cakes, you know, the famous gay wedding cake case, and the business said, well, we're not going to serve, you know, black gay people. That would be discrimination if they make gay wedding cakes. But if Baker never makes gay wedding cakes, then people can't come up and demand him, you know, and say, well, you have to make us a gay wedding cake because even though you normally make, you know, wedding cakes. And, and so this is where it gets fascinating, right? And so what, this, what these folks are saying is that, they, that the minority groups, if they're protected, they can rule over everybody else and they can tell people what to think and what to say. Okay, but in the same way, and then they're using public accommodation. We'll get to that later too. That's that's where if you're open to the public, you got to serve everybody, and it's true. If you're a restaurant open to the public, you have to serve everybody. You can't discriminate on who you serve. You know, you can't you can't say we're only going to serve white people over 45. Can't do that because you're open to the public. Now, if you're a private club, if you're the white person over 45 club, yeah, that's different because you're a private club. You're not open to the public. Uh, in the same way, you know, if a state can tell a business, you know, what to make and who to serve, all right, then they could tell all the pizza places you have to include sushi. <laughs> you know, well, well that would be crazy. Well, that's why I'm using a crazy example. But it's the same thing. If you're telling a web designer they have to make things for things they don't believe, you know, uh, then why can't you tell a pizza place to make sushi? Well, they're open to the public. Public accommodation, right? Well, they don't make sushi. Well, that's beside the point. We think they should do it. Our ideology says that, they, that pizza places should make sushi. So from now on, in the state of Colorado, all pizza places will be required to have a, a sushi counter. Now, that, that's an absurd example, but what's the difference? If the state can tell a business what they can and can't produce, then the business has no power of their, of their own to make their own business. What if they tried to tell me what to say? What if I had to have a gay co-host for half the time that I'm on to counter what I'm saying? Now, the funny part is I have a gay conservative host, and we probably agree on most things. I mean, I already have Brandon Strack on the show. You know, he's, he's a gay conservative Trump-supporting advocate. Yeah, he's welcome anytime. In fact, even people that disagree with me are welcome anytime, too. Happy to talk about it, okay? But you can't force me to do it. You know, it's my show, right? And then he says, uh, says that so many in media denounce the ruling shows they don't understand or believe in the First Amendment that makes their occupation uh, possible. That would be the journalist. He says, in contrast to the rile up rhetoric, uh, Judge Neil Gorsuch, writing eloquently for the majority, said, the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our republic going. Yeah, what, what, what Gorsuch said about the dissenters is hysterical and, and very blunt and blatant. So I'm going to get to that probably, like I said, in the third hour. He says, joined by uh, Chief Judge Ron Roberts and Judge Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Gorsuch added that, quote, the First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Michael Goodwin says, bravo. He says, naturally, the court's left flank trotted out a parade of horrors that might result from speech it didn't like. But that's their problem because the leftists, leftists have no business on the Supreme Court because they do not understand their job. They think their job is to push their ideology and find things in the Constitution that don't exist and rule however they want to push their agenda. That's not why they're there. So I would take them all off for bad behavior. That to me is bad behavior. 
That's exactly the definition of bad behavior, is leftists on the court using their ideology to get what they want, making up all kinds of stuff, and away they go. Um, got Jonathan online. I'm going to just get a little bit more in this one here. So, Jonathan, I'm, re- I'm reading from the, the New York uh, Post article by Michael Goodwin. It's fabulous. He says, in her dissent, Justice Sotomayor, excuse me, Judge Sotomayor, called the ruling heartbreaking and veered into the other world alarmism. Again, this is the Colorado case of the woman that didn't want to make uh, a gay website for gay marriage, and she didn't want to do it. And, and what Gorsuch contended is she can't be forced to think a certain way. He says the immediate symbolic effect, oh, this is, Gor- this is Gorsuch talking, the immediate symbolic effect of the decision is to mark gays and lesbians for second class. Aleppo Mayor said that. She wrote for herself and Justices Alina Kagan and Ken Janney Brown Jackson. He says, hmm, is the symbolic effect really an effect? <laughs> he says the pattern was repeated with the ruling that Biden exceeded his authority in wiping out student loan debt. So I'm going to hold up here. Uh, let's just... It's a very good place to start before we get into standing. There's three, three big cases. The, uh, the case of the Colorado woman, woman who wanted to make a website the way she wanted to make it. She didn't want to uh, you know, make gay wedding websites. Uh, and the second one is the student uh, loan. And the third one is this Texas case where uh, uh, Sam Alito is the only one who dissented, where they all gave the power to Biden to make immigration things and just kind of make up stuff. How am I doing? Good morning, Jonathan. Was that a question? Kind of. <laughs> well, the three cases. Let me let me write them down here. So we've got uh, we've got affirmative action. We can kind of go over these. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Colorado free speech, and then we've got Texas we got immigration. Yeah. yeah, we do. We got time. And I got plenty of stuff. There. If you don't have time, to, if you don't have much time, yeah, I got plenty of material. So I might not have to. Leave me, well, I, you know. I'm going to have to take a. A commercial break as I go into the security at the okay. um, I, I, I don't I don't like people to know where I am, the way things are today. But uh, <laughs> well, if um, you're going through a security I'm checkpoint, actually, then the government knows where you are, Jonathan. I hate to tell you. Yeah, I know, but I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> well, they you know again, they know where you are if they want to, and they don't know where you are if they don't want to. Mm. Like they can't find a, you know they. They know all these things, but they can't find a submersible that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, even though we spent billions of dollars uh, and some, maybe somebody could inform me better, but <clears throat> remember during the cold war and cold war movies, um, we have the SOSIS net, which um, was supposed to be able to, you know, to, uh, you know, pick up uh, yeah, uh, someone on a Soviet submarine burping it you know, a thousand miles. <laughs> right. And yet somehow they don't know who went down and sabotaged the Nord Stream. Hmm, even that? though we spent a fortune on, uh, on the Sosis net to, to listen to everything under the ocean, which is uh, more plausible because the sound travels, of course, mm-hmm. underwater, especially at high pressure. Mm. You know, the more... The more the pressure of the water, the better it transfers sound. Oh, yeah, there are layers, all kinds of stuff. So, um, so they they can't. They the thing. My my theory is they know who blew up the Nord Stream two pipeline, mm-hmm. and they're not telling us because it was them. 
Um, oh, yeah, we know who it is, so, too. Uh, yeah, Seymour Hersh documented that very well. We, as soon as this article came out, we said, yep, this makes sense. Because who else would blow it up other than Brandon to make the, to right. make the war things, you know, get increased? I mean, everything he does, uh, you know, putting uh, Ukraine in NATO, and that's what caused the war. There was no war before that. We had uh, Dr. Peter Pry told us for months ahead of time. So the one thing you can't do is put Ukraine in NATO. That's, that, will, that will cause the war because they don't want that there any more than we wanted uh, nuclear missiles in Cuba. Right. Yeah, same thing. Or, or, the, or the U.S. missiles in Turkey that we put in before the Soviet Union put the missiles in Yeah, Cuba. the Jupiter missiles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting um, is that uh, – all right, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to wrap up, but the, uh, I mean, I mm-hmm. don't have, but the, you know, the, so the point is, is that they can't find the, the pipe bomber from January 6th, but mm-hmm. they can find anybody they want to find. Um, oh, except Joseph Misfood. What's his name? Joseph Misfood or whatever his name is. I don't know. The Who's that? He's the mystery guy from, uh, he was at the last hearing of judiciary. Uh, and Matt Gates is interviewing one of the FBI people. And it says, well, you can find anybody you want. But you can't find this guy. How can he, oh, you can find, you do all these things. And you can't find this guy, Joseph Misfoot, who was the most important, I'm spelling, I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, I had a big search for him before. Um, but he's one of the most <clears> important <throat> people, you know, in, uh, I forgot, oh, I've forgotten the issue. Let me, I'll have to look it up again. Joseph Misfoot, let me see. Uh, I'll find okay, well, I, I'll take your word anyway, for it. Yeah, but, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, and they couldn't find him because they didn't want to. Right. right. Well, well, you know, the thing that we should be asking over and over again is, where is Azra Turk? You know who Azra Turk is? Um, I think this was not Carter Page. This was Papadopoulos. Right. Where um, they brought this hot uh, foreign woman to like the bar. And, you know, tried to get Papadopoulos, George Papadopoulos, to fall into the honeypot by. Right. No, it's interesting because they go after people who have a plausible resume of international activities. You'd think that they would be like smart enough to know that they're being set up with the most clumsy and obvious things. But she calls herself Azra Turk. So we'd like to know, you know, who is Azra Turk? Where, where is Azra Turk? Why does nobody care? The woman trying to set up an advisor to Donald Trump in order to help fabricate these attacks on Donald Trump. And, and this is not history. It's going to happen again and again and again until, until um, we make it uh, no longer attractive to do that. Yeah. Anyway, so I am... Approaching the E. Barrett Pretty Man Federal <laughs> Courthouse, um, and uh, to go into a hearing, the federal court here in in uh, Washington D.C., where all the January 6th cases are, and a lot of other things, oh, including wow. some of the dishonest rulings against Donald Trump. And <laughs> <laughs> presume so. I'll have to drop off. Oh, but you can call us from inside there. I'd love a tour. I'd love to know where the what the buildings look like, what the what the temper of the people, you know, if you if you wore a T-shirt with like a big American flag on it saying Trump won, I mean, what kind of looks would you get in there? I mean, you could have some real fun like, in there. I would. Like a lot of places, most of the staff are nice, and they don't care, and they're, you know, they might lean patriotic. It's the huh. judges that are that are um, 
Well, there's a, there's a series, and I, you know, for example, Moms Against Liberty put out this state, this statement warning people of the tactic of the left by quoting from Hitler. They're fighting against the indoctrination of children. Mm-hmm. So they quoted Hitler's, Hitler's, Hitler's boast that, you know, give me your children and with a gen- within a generation, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have the country. Right. And so they're being I know accused what, I, of pro-Hitler. I, I can, exactly. Well, I'm just going to say I can guess what happened next. They're quoting Hitler. They support Hitler. Right. right? So, so, yeah. Yeah. so the thing is, I hesitate to tell anybody about this series, but there was a documentary series called Hitler's Judges, which is frightening. Um, it's exactly what is happening to the U.S. Uh, judicial system. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, you know, like the intim- like they're, you know, they're putting John Eastman, an attorney, on trial for daring to believe that the election was stolen. I mean, that's straight out of the tactics used by the the Nazis oh, yeah. and the well, I quote him all the time on the fascists. show. I go over his articles um, on the top, so all have, the time on the show. He's good. You have this appearance mm-hmm. of of a legal system, mm-hmm. but it's only a show. Tra- it's only a you know a show. The yeah. reality is, you have dictatorial fascism yeah. um, masquerading as a legal system. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm going in there, and presumably, if uh, they don't take me into custody, I'll be back on. Because uh, we have a 10 o'clock <laughs> hearing. They've okay. got a, a January, January 6th guy who had a medical marijuana card. I'm not big on marijuana. Or, but, you know, most there's a lot of things I don't really care about, except that the arguments are stupid. Then I care about the fact that the arguments are stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so he, t- he had a medical marijuana card issued by the state of Michigan. And he got in a car accident which I guess technically he was following. He wasn't able to stop in time, but you know, no one would consider it like an example of some egregious uh, fault. So they're trying to throw him back in prison because he had a car accident and the state of Michigan thinks he should have medical marijuana for the injuries of his arm, including as pins in his arm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were supposed to do this by Zoom, and Judge Colleen Collar-Catelli decided that everybody had to come in person, which we take as a bad sign um, that, you know, that they uh, might take him into, into custody. So I'm going in there, but I do want to talk about the topics here. Um, yeah. I just wanted to explain why. Or we can go back to standing, depending on how much time you have. But I've been, I've been well, standing, kind of I mean, standing pretty and if you, but, yeah. uh, so I'm walking over here, and I apologize. I mm-hmm. did actually print out. Oh, you're fading a bit. Forgive me while I try to find Article 3. I did print it out. I've got Article Section 3 right here. Section 1 of Article 3. Yeah, I've got it right here if you need judici- it. Well, yeah, I, right. But I, I, since I printed it out, I may as well do it. So oh, no. <clears throat> Section 1 establishes the judicial power of the United States. Right. Vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may for- form from time to time ordain and establish. Um, and again, the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior mm-hmm. and shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation. 
which shall not be diminished during the continuance in office. Nothing here about lifetime appointments. You know, right. yeah, yeah, during during good behavior <clears throat> has become lifetime because there are no standards. Um, there are congressmen <laughs> that tried to establish it. Um, I think um, Todd Aiken tried to get a bill passed to say what is and what isn't good behavior. But anyway, so Section 2 says, clear standing, the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity, which in are two different branches of the law, right. comma, arising under this Constitution, comma, the laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdictions. We don't give it. Um, now, then it goes on to what is another thought, even though it's the same sentence, is common in the Constitution, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, mm-hmm. to controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizens of another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state, claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizens thereof and foreign states, citizens, or subjects. So the Article 3 says, in the first thought, it extends to all cases mm-hmm. arising under the Constitution, which is you know, the idea here is that, <clears throat> is that the Baker and other people have a, have a constitutional right under the, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, as well as maybe some other provisions. <clears throat> so clearly, it, it, the, the judicial power extends to all, as in all, cases mm-hmm. arising under the Constitution. It then goes on to say to controversies of, of certain unique characteristics. And federal judges who, you know, um, I mean, all, all federal judges are like um, all the other victims that we run into. Um, <laughs> you know, they're so overworked and you know, they, I mean, come on, I'm a federal judge. I need the tea time at the golf course. Um, so they've got all these trap doors, hidden passageways, tricks, gimmicks, scams to avoid doing work. And particularly, you'll notice a pattern, at least I do, that any, any legal thing that could actually help a, uh, the average citizen, help the average citizen um, assert their rights, whoa, and behold, there's a, there's a trap door that means that, in theory, you can bring a lawsuit, but you really can't. So hmm. they've, they've invented this idea of standing. And what they've, you know, where they start to go wrong, but they're not done yet, is to combine, <laughs> is to combine the all cases and the controversies. So they're saying that, that there has to be a case and a controversy. So if oh. there's a case filed, not a legitimate co- controversy, then they can't hear, they can't and won't hear the case. There are two different concepts. You know, one is that it's inadvisable to take the case. Right. Um, and the other is that they don't have the power 
to take the case. Those are two different analyses. Um, so they've combined, they've invented this idea of cases and controversies when Article 3 is clearly cases or controversies. Mm-hmm. And, and it spells it out. And if it's a constitutional dispute or dispute of federal law under the Constitution, it's all cases, you know, without exception. But, um, you know, that would mean that they'd have to give the little people a shot at their rights, and we couldn't have that. Yep. Remember, this is how the Supreme Court made a, you know, a bleep and mess out of, um, out of uh, black rights, you know, slave rights in the Dred Scott decision and uh, the Civil War, how they threw gas, they threw fuel on the Civil War by by saying that, well, yes, if, if the slaves had standing, basically, if they were, if they were citizens, they would mm-hmm. um, be able to sue for, uh, for being in a free state and no longer under slavery. But we're going to pretend that they're not, they don't have the right to assert the U.S. Constitution. So, you know, so we're just going to throw the case out. Then the 14th Amendment came along. And they tried to, quote unquote, fix that by making it 10 times worse in the other <laughs> direction. And that's the history of our country, um, you know, in in one minute is we 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 make a problem and then we make it worse um, is how things go. Um, so. Um, so that's where they created standing so that if it's something that they don't want the little people to have a right to assert, then they say, oh, you have no standing. Now, um, the thing with the, just to, and I'm at the door here, the court, the thing to, to get with um, this, this Christian Baker case, <clears throat> there is something called a declaratory judgment, which all the law professors and legal experts and things on, on TV no, news, which I hope you, people aren't watching, um, but they're, <laughs> complaining that there's no standing, they should know that there's something called declaratory judgment, which is, which, for example, if it says, um, you know, if a law were passed, you're not, well, I mean, perfect example. Michigan just made it, well, I've heard a a $10,000 fine. I haven't looked it up. Some people have mentioned it as being a felony. I don't know about that. Uh, Whether or not you use the wrong pronoun. And I'm not mm-hmm. joking. I've heard something the, about Michi- this. The Michigan governor just but signed a law. It. Yeah. Well, so if so, if you want to, I mean, frankly, I think that you know, if we put a, if at the Michigan border, we put up a one of those number machines, take a number, you know, mm-hmm. who wants to be the first to, you know, to, <laughs> to challenge this law? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You'd Me. Probably have endless volunteers, but the law says. You shouldn't have to risk going to jail to find out if the law is valid. That's called a a declaratory judgment. And there are other applications of it too, contracts, wills, things like that. So you say, look, I intend to continue using the biologically correct pronouns, but here is this law saying that if I do, I might be convicted and I might have to pay $10,000 $10,000 fine. So before I put myself in that position, I would like to know if um, 
I have if this law is valid or not. Mm-hmm. That's declaratory judgment. There's a federal like version. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, it, it does. I mean, it is. I mean, a- anyone, anyone who's ever been around the law should know it. The average person doesn't. The average, like, CNN commentator doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about it. So the woman, the website designer, she said, um, you know, before I risk breaking this law in Colorado, I'd like to know if I can do it. And so the idea, you know, the big controversy is no standing, um, as we're saying, begins with the idea that nobody knows what the heck standing is because mm-hmm. it's just it's it's. It's probably the most laughably abused concept in the law. And, um, but it's a concept. It's certainly not in the Constitution. I, I went over this no. earlier. The first, this, this standing isn't mentioned in Article 3. So they had to well, make it they, up. Well, but like I said, they pretend it is because right. they combine cases and controversies and say the judicial power does not extend to uh, controversies unless it's a legitimate controversy. Yeah, they break like, up controversies example, into like real and uh, uh, and political. So in other words, it has to be real controversy. They even quantify the controversy. Right. Well, I mean, because you know, I get approached a lot of by a lot of people who want to like sue for the government. You know, going into debt, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, or or whatever, and the courts will say well, we are just a bystander, car accident. Mm-hmm. And you're standing, you know, 30 feet away from the car accident. You can't sue the, the drivers because you were near the car the car accident. Mm-hmm. And so the courts are trying to say that that to be a genuine controversy, you have to have something at stake that's different from the public as a whole. But you know, and that that sounds a little bit valid except that they have then taken that and made it into a, a laughable, um, you know, word salad. The, the worst example, do, do you want to, can, can I go in the, can I click off for like three or four minutes and go, and oh, go yeah. through the security? Oh, we'll, we'll so, so back so up, if yeah. I set that up, yeah. if you want to, maybe you want to read what they're saying about the 303 creative, and I'll be right back, okay? Okay, well, let me uh, give the, the initial uh, court opinion on that, so I can have that okay. handy here. And so just just start talking when you're back and uh, mute yourself for now. And uh, oh, he actually he actually ended his call. Okay, I guess he's got to uh, probably have a no cell phone thing. All right, so the case we're talking about here is uh, that's a Texas case. Let me get the other case up here. Uh, so this is the case. In fact, I, I have. Um, let me start at the beginning and then I'll get back to it because then Jonathan can say it more accurately. All right. So the Supreme Court. This is the case we're talking about. Creative, three hundred three creative. LLC, that's the Colorado woman, uh, versus Alanis et al. And I guess it says, Sushirari to the United States Supreme Court, says, uh, Laurie Smith, and this is the one we're talking about from 303 Creative, wants to expand her graphic design business, 303 Creative LLC, which is something legal, corporation, whatever. It says, to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. Says, but Ms. Smith worries that Colorado will use the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, known as the CADA, to compel her in violation of the First Amendment, to create websites celebrating marriages she does not endorse. So she, she'll make marriage websites, but she's not going to make uh, uh, gay marriage websites, right? So she says, to clarify her rights, Ms. Smith filed a lawsuit seeking an injunction 
to prevent the state from forcing her to create websites celebrating marriages that defy her belief that marriage should be reserved to unions between a man and a woman. I believe that's what a marriage is also, <clears throat> so do thousands of years of world history. <laughs> so we kind of get a good precedent for it. The CADA prohibits all, quote, public accommodations from denying the full and equal enjoyment of its goods and services. That's kind of like Title 18, uh, Section 241, that if, you, uh, if you, uh, two or more people conspire to uh, oppress or deny the exercise or enjoyment of a constitutional right, you know, that's felony, punishable by jail and uh, fines. So they're saying public accommodation uh, from denying the full and equal enjoyment of its goods and services to any customer based on his race, creed, disability, sexual orientation, or other statutorily enumerated trait. Now, so what they're saying is those who are in a protected class can basically tell anybody else what to do. That's that's what the the Colorado law says. And so you can't do that. In other words, you know, you cannot demand. I mean, public accommodation is that if you're open to the public, you have to serve the public. Okay. If you're in a restaurant, you have to, but people can't come into your restaurant and ask for things that aren't on the menu. So in other words, if, if Laurie Smith consistently, you know, uh, doesn't, uh, makes, uh, wants to make wedding websites, but she doesn't make wedding websites for same sex marriages, then, then, uh, you can't all of a sudden demand her that she do it. Now, if she did it for some people, not for others, that might be discrimination. But the fact that she never does it is different in the same way. You can't go to a pizza restaurant and demand sushi. Why? Because they don't make that product. She doesn't make, the, she doesn't make weddings, wedding websites for same-sex couples. She can do that. You know, in the same way, I can't go to – we used to have a Muslim bakery in Oakland where I lived. Well, I, I couldn't go to the Muslim bakery and demand uh, – well, uh, Jonathan's back. So let me give this example too. So uh, – okay, now it's back on. So the, the case talks about public accommodation. Second paragraph, the CADA, the Colorado – uh, Anti-Discrimination Act prohibits, quote, all public accommodations from denying, quote, the full and equal enjoyment of its goods and services to any customer based on his race, creed, disability, sexual orientation, or other statutorily enumerated trait. So now it says, but the law defines public accommodations broadly to include almost every public-facing business in the state. So what I'm saying is that a business, you know, public accommodation, which we've talked about because I used that in my lawsuit, against big tech and they're denying me because I'm conservative. You can't do that if you're open to the public. But, the, but just because you're open to the public doesn't mean that the state can force you to offer a product you don't offer. You, know, you can't go to a pizza restaurant and demand sushi because they don't offer that. Okay? Now, if, uh, but you can go to a pizza restaurant if they don't uh, you know, serve certain races or, or classes of people. That's different. That's discrimination. And that's the distinction. So what they're saying is uh, Colorado said that they can force this business to, to make uh, same-sex wedding websites um, because they're a protected group. And she's saying, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, and so this is where we get to declaratory judgment, which that didn't come up in the case, but you've talked about that before. you talked about that with, with protests. So someone says, look, I want to protest this, but I don't want to get arrested. Can you get me a declaratory judgment so I don't go to jail uh, for, for the civil disobedient action I want to take? Because you brought that up before, right? I remember that. I don't know. I, I should. It's a, not, not a mystery. But well, you've done it. I remember it. I just don't remember when. It's only a mystery to people who comment on CNN or MSNBC. <laughs> well, their ideology, so, their, their law is their ideology. So in other words, if it's in their ideology, it must be law. It must be in the Constitution somewhere. If it, doesn't, if it isn't, we're going to make it up. But um, right. let's get back to, to, to Laurie Smith because this is fascinating. So my contention is you, the state, and it's Neil Gorsuch too, 
the, the, who wrote the majority opinion, that the state cannot force people how to think and, and what to do. So public accommodation does not include offering products that you don't offer just because it might be a protected group objects. And these protected <clears throat> groups do not have superior rights over everybody else. That's what they're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much? Yeah. Well, the, so, thing, back to the you. thing is, it's like we went back to Heart of Alabama Motel, mm-hmm. which said that the civil rights law, um, you know, op- opposing discrimination in certain key sectors, like that's where they go to the innkeeper laws of old England, that the civil rights law, and, and this is where newspaper headlines lead people astray, that the civil rights laws are valid. They can be, they can be supported. But that doesn't mean that every instance of discrimination is therefore illegal. It just means that on attempts to throw out the civil rights laws entirely, mm-hmm. the, the court said, no, you can, you can do that in some, some cases. So they turned some cases into all cases in their ideology. Um, <clears throat> so, hmm. um, so, well, so, yeah, so you don't have to, you know, particularly like you say, with Heart of Alabama Motel, they did, of course, actually provide motel services. Right. You know, and you're saying, you're pointing out that if you, you know, if you run, uh, if you run a restaurant, that you have to add a motel just because somebody wants to stay there. Somebody wants to, uh, <laughs> to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to, if you're, if you're open for business to the public, you can't discriminate if you offer that product. So if you're a motel, you can't say that, uh, you know, Asian folks can't stay there, you know, but, uh, but you can't, but if you're a motel uh, that doesn't have a pool, they can't demand you build one because <laughs> we don't have a pool. It's not part of our business, you know? So that's where the distinction lies. But what's interesting about this is that Colorado thinks that, you know, because a group is protected, in other words, LGB, et cetera, et cetera, that they can demand that this woman, um, make uh, same-sex uh, wedding sites. It's like, the, it's like the bakery case all over again. Those people never made same-sex wedding cakes. So you can't suddenly demand that they do just because this group might have civil rights protections in other areas. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. But So it's what, the, what this, the left is saying is that if a group becomes protected on civil rights laws, they're enumerated, you know, that all of a sudden they have superior rights over other people and can demand things that they could not demand if they weren't a protected civil rights group. That's, I think, the real, the, the, the real issue. Does that make sense? Is he still there? Your life oh, I hit mute. I, hit mute. I was going to say that the real constitution <laughs> to them is, but I want to. <laughs> you know, so... Um, the, the wannabe clause? You know, so the, the, the left, the, the constitution clause. of the left is, wah, I, yeah. I want to, so, and nothing yeah. else matters. Um, yeah. That's right. So, um, so that's the thing. So the thing is, like, so the, the left is going completely nuclear over this thing, which mm-hmm. on the one hand, we should be students of politics and understand the more they talk about it, mm-hmm. they're doing our work for us in getting, mm-hmm. in getting the, the, the issue out there. So, okay. like, so it's like, seriously, you really want to, to say that, that we should to discriminate against Christians, you know, Go, go, here's the microphone, you know, take all the time you want. Um, <laughs> we're, and, we're making campaign but, ads. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's a good but point. the thing is, is that, 
it, it's they're wrong because you know for example the the big controversy they're saying is that is that some guy named Stewart um, asked for a saying you know I, I guess I guess I really am out of the loop on weddings and and women and things like that. I, my attitude is like, who, who does a website for their wedding? You might get oh, a page. I, you might get a... I, know, I tried marriage once. Uh, you know, I can't recommend it. So I don't, I don't worry about things like that anymore. <laughs> I like well, but single. I mean, yes, you can register your wedding yeah. at a gift registry and they'll put up a page mm-hmm. for you. But mm-hmm. who goes and gets a, 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 a wedding straight or, or gay um, about their wedding? I mean, you know, first oh, people of all, do weird things. All, people have birthdays for one-year-olds that they, the one-year-old will never remember. People do, uh, they have parties, they have announcing parties on the sex of their baby, you know, after the ultrasound. I mean, they do all kinds of crazy right. things. Yeah. Well, but, but a, a, a dedicated website, like I, I, think, I think that they should be denied on the, on the basis of being narcissists um, for wanting, a, <laughs> wanting a, a, a website about their wedding. Um, but, um, but so the thing is, is that Colorado has a history in front of that very Supreme Court of prosecuting people for this very thing. So and and again, it's the same thing with Second Amendment rights and other and and affirmative action. They keep coming back and back and back. And at some point, you think the Supreme Court would say, look, we told you, cut it out. If you come back, if you come back in here next time, bring a toothbrush and a change of underwear because you're going to be a guest of the you know, of the state for a week. If you keep coming well, back to bring here. the same case, this, the Supreme Court can simply deny it. But a couple of things that's they interesting. Should. Yeah. Um, they should. A couple of things. But they keep yeah. saying no, 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 hell no. Mm-hmm. And, and so the thing is, is that Mrs. Lori Smith or whatever her name is, uh-huh. her that's complaint a, was, was that the, Supreme, was that the state of Colorado would prosecute her. Not that yeah. some guy named Stewart, who apparently asked for a um, apparently asked for a same-sex wedding website, and the big the big explosion is is that some guy named Stewart, like there's only one person named Stewart in the entire state, mm-hmm. is saying he never asked for for a same-sex uh, wedding. Like, well, this is a setup. That's not the. Yeah, this is uh, uh-huh. it's like the Baker thing with the you know the the couple that was was uh, prompted to go. Uh, I mean, they set that whole thing up with the with the the, the Baker of the Christian uh, Baker with the you know saying that well you have to make you know same sex wedding cakes. They no, we don't. You know, we never make those. But what's fascinating to me, the most important issue is that Colorado thinks it's okay to take their favored groups, you know, in this case LGB whatever folks, uh, and say that they have superior rights over everybody else that they can demand mm-hmm. products that no one else can demand, you know, and that uh, this person, uh, the, the, the Christian woman said, well, I don't, I don't believe in this. You know, she's Christian, but that's not, whether she's Christian or not, it's not relevant. She just doesn't, she believes that a marriage is between a man and a woman. So the only website she's going to make are for a marriage between a man and a woman. That's her right, right to do that. And what Colorado says well, is that's not your right. You don't have the right to think for yourself. You don't have the right to, uh, you have to say what we have to tell you to say. You have to right. conduct your business the, left, the way we the tell you is, to conduct it. Go ahead. The left wants to impeach the Supreme Court and impeach the, you know, the, the attorney general and, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a special counsel to prosecute this, this Lori Smith on the grounds that, that 
Stewart, that it's a made-up case because Stewart never asked for one. Irrelevant. The yeah. threat was from the was being prosecuted by the state of Colorado, not by being prosecuted by Stewart. Yeah. And so he so uh, 303 Creative Media had a legitimate th- concern of being treated exactly the same way the baker and everybody else has been treated. Um, it, not because of Stewart, but because of of um, <clears throat> because of the the attitude of the government. So um, it's not about Stewart; it's about the government. And um, and then they've said that if they put up <coughs> a clarification on their main website, said we don't do these certain these kinds of things, um, their lawyer said that would be a violation, and they'd be prosecuted. If they answered inquiries and said, "I'm sorry, we don't do that," mm-hmm. that would be a violation. So. Um, you know, they haven't done it. So they, you know, and then the, the left is going nuts because they're saying, well, you didn't, you've never done, you know, wedding websites before, you know, but again, if you say like, look, I want to, um, you know, I want to build a factory on this land where there used to be a polluting factory. And mm-hmm. I want to know if I'm going to be responsible for, you know, discoveries of pollutants there from before the time I owned it before I buy the land and build a factory there. Um, that's what we talked about with the declaratory judgment. So they're saying, well, they never had, you know, they never did these before. And like, well, so what? <laughs> um, the uh, but the left is going absolutely berserk. And uh, same thing, same thing with uh, with student loans and with affirmative action. You know, the Babylon Bee, the comedy site, uh, satire site, says that Asian Americans celebrated by taking a five-minute study break, uh, the, the, uh, the affirmative action case. Um, and um, so um, the, 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 the political part of it is, is that the, these leftists really think that their positions are popular outside of their, you know, their local bubble, mm-hmm. you, know, pass the, you know, pass the joint around, and we all agree that, that these things are terrible. But... They're not popular. Um, so anyway, standing. So mm-hmm. if we go back to the issue of standing, what time is it? I may have to. I, I may not. I may have to come back later. <clears throat> but um, as we're, we're prepping the, uh, the client. So, oh yeah, I mean, uh, is, I've got plenty of stuff, so don't worry about uh, you know. Well, let me just show this out. The, uh-huh. the joke of standing. You know, is best exemplified by, you know, just just like the abuse of interstate commerce is exemplified by the you know, the most absurd example is Wickard v. Filburn, the high watermark of, of insanity um, on abusing the Constitution in the Interstate Commerce Clause. <clears throat> Standing the 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 absurdity is 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 marked by um, Massachusetts versus EPA contrasted with Obama's executive order um, giving DACA and an expanded DACA for, you know, um, uh, parents who are, who are parents of illegal par- parents illegally in the country, parents of children who are illegally in the country, but there were children that came here. So, you know, whatever. So, 
um, the best I did, you know, Larry, we we filed a lawsuit against uh, Obama's announcement um, within like three hours for hmm. Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And, you know, we filed it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And out of choice, the best part of the petition to the Supreme Court, which I wrote, Larry Clayman signed, um, <clears throat> was quoting from D.C. Court of Appeals Judge um, Janice Rogers Brown. Because she was just, she just like tore them apart on standing. A standing <laughs> is, is just like, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I would have, uh, based on that alone, if, if the rest of her checks out, I would, you know, nominate her to the Supreme Court. Um, <clears throat> so I just, you know, most of the, <laughs> so on standing for illegal aliens, they said, well, mm-hmm. the government, the, the states involved, and they were like, I think, Again, it was like the elections, like, you know, 40 percent of the states were, were suing, were joined this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, not ours, but a, but a parallel, you know, the same lawsuit parallel thing they filed later. Um, and uh, they said, well, maybe the benefits of illegal immigration outweigh the costs that these, <laughs> that these, um, that these states are incurring. They would never apply that in any other case. I mean, there were there were all these there were all these things that they they use to 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 find no standing that they would never do in anything else. Now compare that to Massachusetts v. EPA, where the grounds for standing were that maybe in a hundred years Massachusetts might lose a few inches of coastline to sea rise from global warming. In a hundred years, maybe. And Maybe. Well, they think, yeah, but, but they, they had, they had experts who said it. So, right. um, and, um, and everybody on our side are weenies. They think the alligator will eat them last. So they, they don't take a stand, but, um, so, so they go on and on about this stuff. And then, you know, and, you know, I pointed out and put it in the pleadings is that, you know, if you've ever been on a Massachusetts beach, it's like you know taking a taking a nice warm dip in in ice water. Oh, um, I live so, in Massachusetts. I know exactly what they're like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so if if, if there was warming. global warming and yeah. you lost a couple inches, you gain beaches that are actually more more valuable oh. because they wouldn't be so frigid. Well, so that's the Gulf know, Stream but, but, takes a, a right turn after New York and heads over to England. If you look at the Gulf Stream, right. which is the warm waters coming up from the Gulf of Mexico where I live, you know, around Florida and up the East Coast, the East Coast waters are great until about New York, New Jersey, somewhere. And I don't, I'll take a look at a map, but uh, the, the Gulf Stream takes the Gulf, warm Gulf water. That's why England has warmer winters than uh, continental Europe, because you know, right. England's under the Gulf Stream. And Germany and France aren't, so their winters are worse. Right. The New we England waters suck because they're polar. They come down from the Arctic. Boaters wise boaters here in florida southwest right. florida would call it call it the the largest river in the world the the gulf stream within the oceans um yeah. but but so the thing is the exact analysis that was used against you know to 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 allow um <clears throat> obama's um amnesty for or temporary amnesty for illegal mm-hmm. aliens was the exact opposite for, for climate change, every single mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So every well, twist and turn that they used 
it, it's 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 you know 180 degrees the opposite depending on who you know whose ox is being gored. Well, that's the beauty of standing. Uh, I mentioned this in the first hour that standing because it's a made up concept, they can make up the parameters of the concept too. So they can they can deny somebody who obviously has standing, like Texas the Texas election case, you know, and they said, well, they didn't have standing because Texas wasn't hurt. Well, Texas, well, if, if you're electing national offices, everybody gets hurt by fraudulent election, in, even in one state, you know, but that's not the point. Right. The point is, was it election fraud? So they're not answering the central question. They're saying, well, we don't have to answer the question of whether this is a, a valid case or a frivolous case or anything like that. We're not even going to deal with it because you can't even bring the case. See, the beauty of standing for the court is that they can say, regardless of the merits of the case, they can say, well, you can't bring this case because you, you, know, you, haven't, uh, you don't have a right to bring the case. And we make up the rules as to what a right is. So that's why they can have totally different opinions on who can bring a case, because not only have they made up a concept, they've made up the rules for the concept, and everything they make up from the concept is okay because they said it was. Well, that's not judicial. And, and pretty, that's and that's pretty fantasy much, land. And pretty much they say you can't bring the case when it's obvious that they would lose. That's true. If they brought, yeah, if, you know, if they yeah. heard the case, mm-hmm. the, 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 the big government, the deep state, the left would lose. So then they say, well, you can't hear it. And then the news dishonestly reports it, and, and the headlines make everybody believe that it's, unconsti- you know, that it's constitutional. No, they just said you don't have any standing. Well, I made that point yeah, earlier in the first hour that if uh, they took the Texas case, Texas would win, and the election would have to be uh, corrected, and Trump would have to be declared winner because the brand and electors would be disqualified because of the fraud. Right. We couldn't have that. So, so the Supreme Court is actually part of the deep state. They've actually uh, they've used a made-up concept to deny a proper result of the election simply because they would rather have the deep state version of the election where the government chooses the government than have the actual winner, Donald Trump, take office again. Yeah, well, well part of the coup. <laughs> yeah, but the part of the coup then. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question. Pianki's online, but I want to, uh, something I thought of too with the whole. Well, the, I may have to long. get off here for at least until after ten or ten. You say you don't have <clears throat> the next report. Well, I might feel like we've only got an hour and fifty minutes, so ten o'clock your time is nine o'clock my time. So if you want to come back after ten, that's fine. Let me get Pianki right on then to see if he has a quick question for you. Pianki. <clears throat> well, what is uh? Hello there. Good morning to everyone. What is AOC talking about? Listening to her and her ranting that Congress need to reel the Supreme Court in. What does she? What what does she get that concept from? Which case? Yep, Johnson. Sounds like the first. Well, I mean, I would argue that she's saying that because because self-evidently they should that because self-evidently her her view of the world is the only right one. Because the Supreme Court disagreed, therefore they have to be illegitimate. Uh, I mean, it's the way I understand, the only way I can explain it. But you know, she's, um, you know, they she's trying to say that they don't, you know, that they're wrong on affirmative action. You know, because it's done, because the thing is, like I say, affirmative action has been decided again and again and again and again, and. And they're acting like this Supreme Court is, um, is like doing something new and crazy. And, you know, because, 
race-based affirmative action has always been um, has has always been unconstitutional. There's never a time when people have said, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." Um, mm-hmm. Although I have to say, um, if they were, um, you know, need-based quote-unquote discrimination, like why why should the owner of the Black Entertainment Television, who is worth like 1.2 billion when he got divorced, um, <laughs> you know why why should he get affirmative action? But if somebody has, you know, if you want to say, well, forget about race, we want to help people who actually need help. I don't have a problem with that, and I don't see any problem constitutionally with that. Um, but anyway, so so the thing is, there has never been a time when the Supreme Court has agreed with AOC on any of these things. Um, but that's not what they teach um, in leftist seminars, hmm. you know, me- meeting at Starbucks. So anyway. Well, we, um, we got a lot of cases. Let yeah, everybody needs help. Let me get one quick question here on a different issue, uh, if I can. Well, let me, uh, all right, go ahead. John, how much time have you got? I mean, yeah, do, do you, you want to... Can I can I click off for maybe ten fifteen minutes? Oh, of course, absolutely. Let's do that. Um, we might. Uh, I well, mean, I don't know if I can come back, but hopefully, I well, will if you be can, able to. you can. If not, Pianca and I will hash it out. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you got it. Okay, thanks. See you thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I. The only that was well. The question I wanted to ask. Well, why don't you make your part, Pianca? Then I'll tell you what I was going to ask. Well, this thing about somebody needing help. And that the rest of the country need to pay for it. I can see if it's an emergency like a hurricane or something like that. Of course, they're supposed to come to the aid then. But on the contentions that she's talking about, associated with what has came down the last few days, maybe a couple of weeks, I don't see where that there is legitimate. No, then people well, always can... talk about well, if these farmers get assistance and. Corporations get the uh, bailouts, and well, that's a whole different. And the military gets uh, subsidized. Well, that's a whole different contention. Well, each one of those are different. You know, first of all, I think subsidies should be illegal. They might be. They're discriminatory. Why is it you can pay farmers not to produce, but not pay widget makers not to produce, whatever that might be? You know, why don't we pay steel mills not to produce or, or pay uh, automobile makers to, to cut back on their automobiles, you know, especially if they're not making electric cars? You know, it's, the government should not be in the marketplace. It's just that simple. They should not be in the farm marketplace. Now, the, yeah. the supports came during the Depression, so farmers didn't go out of business. But they're going out of well, business yeah. now in record numbers. What happens if farmers go out of business? Well, then because I wouldn't they're... continue to do business. I, if I keep losing money and losing money, I'm not going to stay in that business. I'm going to do something else. I'll go get a STEM job. Yeah. Now the, problem, gonna... the problem is, and this is something that the New England had a really interesting uh, thing. Uh, they didn't stop anybody from, if someone went out of business, they could certainly leave. That was, that was okay. But what they did was they zoned the farmland as, as they made what they call perpetual zoning. So the farmland stayed farmland. See, the biggest problem with farmland is it's also good commercial land, good for shopping malls, it's good for office buildings, it's good for all kinds of things because it's good land. But the problem is we're losing our farmland and <clears throat> we're losing a couple of ways. Bill Gates and China are buying it up and, and, uh, and taking it off the market so that it makes you know, beef more expensive and other things so they can head us toward bugs. That's a problem. 
that's an artificial marketplace, and I think those should be illegal. Um, but this whole idea of, of subsidies, you know, it may have made sense during the Depression to keep family farms going. It's actually the type of welfare is what it was. But now subsidies going to Archer Daniels Midland so they can make ethanol? That's insane. There's no reason for that. And yet they have the political power to keep them. But the biggest problem is that the family farms are being bought up by the huge agribusinesses. And so that's a problem. And so they, they, you know, they narrow the products. They use GMOs. They, they over-fertilize pesticide and use and everything else that they do. So that's a huge problem. So what you might want to do is, is zone the land if it's farmland. And people can come and go from that and, you know, bigger, smaller, whatever. Stay farmland. That, I think, is a good way for the states and, and the counties to deal with it. But no well, the common person that's selling vegetables or growing vegetables on a corner lot in New York, New York City, mm-hmm. and if that crop was ever used for commercial retail, then it stands a chance of receiving a farm subsidy. That's interesting. Yes, I don't believe in subsidies. Let me ask you a question on student loans, because this is something I wanted to ask Jonathan, that um, – the uh, the case is interesting because the Supreme Court said that uh, Brandon couldn't uh, revoke student loans under the law that he used because it was a COVID relief law for military, but he could try it under different laws. And my contention is that the president, regardless of who, is certainly not the illegal president, has no ability to cancel contracts. Because this, and this is what I asked Jonathan about, because they, they, they spend tons of time on contract law in law school, but it's a contract. If you sign, if you get a student loan, you've signed a contract. So what they're saying is the president or or Biden can actually end contracts and get a certain party out of what they've contracted to pay or or obligated to do. Well, if that's the case, then then who's to say that uh, the next president couldn't uh, say to people, well, you don't have to pay your mortgage or you don't have to pay your car loan or you don't have to pay your business loan or you don't have to... uh, you know, you can take money out of the bank that you don't have. I mean, if, if the president or the chief executive, whoever they may be, legal or illegal, can, can say that you, your contract can be voided by government, then the, there's no contract law. There's nothing binding about a contract. Contracts don't exist anymore. Because the government can come along and say, I you know, that those, you can those, cash your CD in. You yeah. can cash your CD, CD in before maturity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because contract law doesn't apply anymore. And that's the thing that I think is missing from that case. I was, I was starting to read something about Michael Goodwin, which I'm, I might get back to in a little bit. But the point is that that's a, that's a contract law violation. And, and nobody I've seen has brought that, that aspect of it up. That is, you know, it's, it's well, also I welfare. I thought about this the first time I heard it. I said he had oh, okay. no right well, to good. keep breaking contracts between private individuals and a mortgage company or uh, savings and all come to wherever the money is coming from. Then, too, if uh, the government gets to the point where they're going to forgive your loan, then soon they're going to tell you what you can take a loan out from for. Yeah, that's true. When yeah. it comes down to education. You yeah. say that's... you want to be a doctor, they say, no, we need more cooks. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what communists do. Or what the communists do, Michael Savage was, used to talk about, they take the cooks and make them doctors, and they take the doctors and make them cooks. So that because everybody was equal, everybody's equally qualified. Every all, all objectors were equal, and of course, the people in the hospitals were dying because they're being operated on by cooks, you know, and and the people in the restaurants were dying because they were being uh, cooked for by doctors, 
you know, so everything was getting screwed up because the government can't do that. But the government cannot interfere in the marketplace and, and say, you know, who pay what and to whom, because they can, if those, if the government can dictate the terms, that's communism. But the Supreme Court didn't recognize that. They didn't say that. They said that uh, Biden could refile under some other law. But what I'm saying, well, I don't even like the term forgiveness. You're not forgiving a loan. That implies you did something wrong. No, you freely entered a contract. So it's not forgiving. It's well, you revoking. know where that came from. That came from uh, Roberts. Roberts oh, is always the one who throws out that butt card. Uh, forgiving, huh? Yeah, you, you, these loans aren't forgiven. Yeah, he did that with, with, the, with the Affordable Care Act. He said it couldn't be come under the Congress. It couldn't come under the Commerce Clause, but it could be a tax. Well, he hmm. didn't have no business saying that. He shouldn't have put that suggestion out there. Yeah. It's not the the argument that you were supposed to give an opinion on. And then, too, when in the hell is states going to say we ain't going to do it? Well, I agree with you. Um, We're still waiting. You know, but that's the biggest problem is the states don't say that. You know, uh, I I got this article by Michael Goodwin. Let's let's kind of get stuck into this one because he's talking about Supreme Court makes rulings that favor American freedom despite what the left thinks because the left doesn't believe in freedom. So they, they see government as a way to impose their ideology, and they just make stuff up, and that's one of the biggest problems. And the court said, no, you can't just make stuff up. You actually have to follow the Constitution. Uh, and we went over standing already, so that's covered. Um, but the first case is – see if you have a, more to say on this one. This woman in Colorado who wants to make wedding websites, but she doesn't want to make same-sex wedding websites. And the state of Colorado said, well, you have to. And it comes under public no, accommodation, and, and, and it's just made up. Yeah, exactly. So then, so the bigger question, and we don't have to be all lawyers to answer this one, but the bigger question is, can the state tell you what to think and how to conduct your business? Can they mandate no, that you... they can... Yeah. If, if you get an approval for it, they can, they can have guidelines on how your business is supposed to run, but they can't tell you that, Greg, you got to get into sex dolls. Or yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or I have to talk about stupid topics, you know, a certain percentage of my show. I have to do, like, entertainment news or frivolous things or or stuff like that, like every other show does. Like the Fairness Doctrine. Well, you have to give equal time to idiots. No, I'm not going to give equal time to idiots. (laughs) I don't have time for equal time for idiots. But that would be a way to – or if they they said if I uh, come out uh, uh, against, uh, you know, uh, same-sex privilege, you know, in in, – Companies like these people are trying to do. So, well, you can't say that. You've got to, you, you can't say that. That says, you know, or what about, let's talk about one thing we didn't talk about Michigan pronouns. Have you heard about this, this idea that if you use the wrong pronoun in Michigan, they can sue you for it or charge you $10,000 or something stupid like that? So they can enforce. Well, they make it, just one more thing that I've heard a word come out of Michigan here lately. What's going on out there? You know, they're, they're making the use of the, the proper – in other words, they've outlawed the proper use of the English language. That's fascinating to me. They can't do that. First of all, free speech implies, you, you know, you can speak freely, and if you do speak freely, that's fine. You can be as controversial as you want, as long as you don't break in your action of free speech, not in your right of free speech, but in your action of speech, you don't do things that are actionable. In other words, yelling fire in a crowded theater, there's no fire. And, and if people get injured or killed, you're liable for that. Or if you, if you say that uh, and mean it, because I use this as a joke, Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears. Okay? 
And I've actually said that in public and said, I can prove Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears. And of course I can't. And I don't know if she does or not. Uh, the mere suggestion is kind of funny, but that would be slander if I actually said it like I meant it. But I don't. It's a joke, <laughs> you know, which is okay. The jokes are protected. But, it, but if you're liable for what you say, but, the, the, but the, the right of free speech says that the government cannot be ahead of time. They cannot have prior restraint on what you say. So is it legal to so, – so does the First Amendment include yelling fire in a crowd of theater? Absolutely. What if there's a fire? You know, what, see, I, I bet you people are so stupid that, well, there's a fire, but I can't yell fire in a crowded theater because I'm told you can't yell that. What if there's a fire? So circumstances dictate. Well, Michigan's uh, got, got some dumb legislatures is what I would think. And they're not the only state. You go up there yeah. to the uh, northwest corner, you got more dumb legislators. And come down to yeah. uh, just a little bit above Mexico, you got a bunch of more of them there. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what Michael Goodwin says in this New York Post article. And we're talking about the free speech of the woman who doesn't want to design same-sex websites. So the six to three majority of the Colorado website designers' First Amendment rights mean she cannot be forced to accept commissions for same-sex weddings that will conflict with her Christian beliefs. In simple terms, her constitutional freedom of speech trumps a state law that would force her speech to conform to its dictates. So in other words, the state cannot tell you what to think, how to think, and what to say. Why is that even a question? Well, they want to get rid of the Constitution, these leftists do. They don't want to have, mm-hmm. like you just previously said, they want to uh, dictate your ideology based on theirs, or should I say your action based on their ideology. Yeah. Then the leftists come in, and uh, Sotomayor uh, called the ruling heartbreaking. And then said the immediate symbolic effect of the decision is to mark gays and lesbians for second-class status. That's not true. And right there, that there is bad behavior out of her when she made the call, calling it heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to be making judgments based on how your heart feels. She mm-hmm. should be getting rid of. Well, it's it's worse than that. I talked with Jonathan a bit about this too, but I'm curious your opinion that these these so-called protected groups minority groups, same-sex groups, things like that, um, that they have rights and powers that are above people that are not protected groups. So in other words, they can go to Congress or they can go to the Supreme Court and say this person has to produce a product that I want because I want it, even though they never produce it. And then the state of Colorado says, yeah, you're right. You're a protected group. Therefore, you have more power and more rights over other people. That's what affirmative action says. Constitution, because the Constitution does not give protection to groups, give protection to individuals. Exactly. And that's what the court said. Let's see if I can find another one here. All right, here's, here's another one. This is, this is uh, <clears throat> oh, here we go. So, so he says that he, I guess another says Brandon, I'm sort of leaping in the conversation here. Oh, the pattern was repeated in the ruling in Biden exceeded his authority in wiping out student loan debt. And he can't do that. That's foreign aid and that's amnesty. He says he wanted to, well, that's not him. Well, anyway, let me just, just state what it says. I'm kind of getting carried away. He says he wanted to allow, that's Brandon, 43 million borrowers to skip repayment of up to 20000 each. Well, that's $400 billion. Opponents cited the vast scope and the inherent unfairness of forcing taxpayers, many of whom paid their own way to college or couldn't afford to go, to cover the debts of others, many of whom borrowed for youthless graduate degrees. 
That's true. I didn't go to law school. I mentioned this on Facebook. One of the reasons I didn't go to law school is I couldn't afford the student loans. I didn't want to take on that much debt burden for a profession that may or may not hire, hire me, given the track record of a lot of people that haven't hired me for good jobs, even though I was perfectly qualified for them. So I said, what if I didn't get hired as a lawyer and I couldn't pay back those loans? Well, I'm not going to take them on. That, to me, was a responsible position. But according to the left, I should have taken the loans because Brandon was going to pay him back. All the other citizens of the country are going to pay him back. And that's the fundamental right. uh, difference of a right. And, and what we said, yeah. Win? Go ahead. What will it end, yeah. Greg? Uh-huh. Good question. Well, why don't, and I said, we talked about this earlier. I said, why, if, if uh, the White House occupant can uh, revoke student loans, they can revoke mortgages, car payments, and they can tell you what to take out for other people. In other words, you have to contribute to, you know, same-sex causes because they're a protected class, and we're telling you what to do. I mean, it could have done anything well, you yeah, because when you take that, now you open yourself up of being forced to take on getting involved in other things that you would not otherwise get involved in for a host of reasons, especially if you don't have the money to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Then Goodwin talks about, he says, the mother of all decisions, of course, concerned affirmative action. Initially, the words meant broadening the applicant pool for jobs and college admissions to make sure those who had been excluded on the basis of race had an equal chance of being hired or admitted. That's how you find affirmative action. I think that's how most people define affirmative action. You open it up. You, you, you place that. That ain't the way I define affirmative action is. Yeah. And, I, and I got no problem with that. You know, if you want to open the pool of applicants, if you want to tell people, if you want to advertise, you want to do things to encourage more people to apply That's for different jobs. Be. Absolutely. No problem with that. However, then it says over time, the protected categories expanded and affirmative action came to mean outcome rather than opportunity, much as equity law has replaced equality. He says, but the blatant favoring of one race must come at the expense of others. And that's clearly unconstitutional as the court declared. And I agree. He says, the same six to three majority ruled that admissions decisions at Harvard and the University of North Carolina violated the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. See, the thing is, in order for the left to believe as they do, they don't have to believe in equal protection. They can't believe in equal protection. They believe in special protection for their groups. So that's why their arguments fall apart. Well, Harvard was totally private and bought a federal federal money Mm -hmm. receiving federal. They could do anything they want to. Um. I don't know. They could. Because, well, let me think about that for a second. If they're not receiving federal dollars, then the federal government has no reach on them. And it's just like Stanford University. Stanford University would tell you that every person that come here, apply here, has a 35 ACT. Everybody. Black, white, Asian. That would be okay. That would be their standard. Well, but that's not that. their standard. They say standard goes goes further than just uh, uh, test scores. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a, here's a case. Brigham Young University, I think, is mostly Mormon. Um, but can other students go? Yes, as I understand with Brigham Young. But there's a there's a moral code. You have to accept their moral code. And if you accept their moral code, which is mostly from Mormon law, then you can go. So in other words, they're not discriminating against non-Mormons, but what they're saying is this is the standard that we apply to everybody. So it's okay. What if, uh, what if Hillsdale College only wanted to accept conservative ideology? Could they do that? Being a totally private university. We don't well, have any left on our campus. Schools, 
You had some mm-hmm. African schools that belonged to certain groups. They didn't take no federal money, and they would not let whites come in. So no, if it's not if you don't take federal money, the federal government can't tell you jack about your program. So how about a restaurant then that discriminates? I mean, how was segregation possible then? See, I still think public they did, accommodation well, they applies. Did, they did discriminate. Did not you have a, a restaurant in New York that turned mm-hmm. away the Christian group because they said that their uh, gay staff felt uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. I'm saying they can't do that unless that group, you know, is is uh, committing violence or problems or louder rockers or things like that. But just to rest- just to deny them for what they might do, that's prior restraint. But it gets murky. And restaurants are engaging in commerce, so it's different with them. But with yeah. uh, schools, organizations, proms, there's mm-hmm. been uh, no whites and no black allowed proms. As organization, no whites and no black allowed organization. I've mm-hmm. seen leases, of course, it wasn't in this country, that said no whites allowed. Where was that? I'm just curious. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. There. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were there used to be contracts too, where where Catholics and Jews couldn't uh, buy property in certain places. There were the exclusion I've seen signs on the side of of apartment buildings. No, no, uh, no dogs, no Jews. No dogs, no Jews, no blacks. Allowed. Oh, fascinating. Hey, did you see that article I posted this weekend on on Irish slaves um, before black slaves in this country? I found that fascinating. I had no idea. I just stumbled on that as I'm looking around the internet. Well, yeah, there's been well anybody with any common sense knows that. Uh, I tell you what, you want to see some see blacks slaves in America compared to what was going on elsewhere, even in the Western Hemisphere, was mm-hmm. uh, timid. Look what happened to blacks in Argentina; they gone. It used to be about thirty percent of the population. Now they're down to one or two. What happened? That's the question. What happened to the blacks in Argentina? Huh. I don't know. I never thought about it. Do you know? Same thing in Brazil. The largest population of of people with quote-unquote black skin used to exist in Brazil. Yeah, because they're all former slaves. I mean, Brazil had more slaves than all agriculture and and plantation and... uh, they were deforesting the the Amazon. Well, yeah, and it wasn't nothing illegal about it because it was a common practice. Well, now here's that's an interesting question: Is slavery legal if the government, you know, passes a law saying that slavery is legal? Good question. Well, it's legal in this country because we have laws against. Uh, well, we have a constitutional amendment against slavery. Um, so it wouldn't be legal in this country, and it certainly wouldn't be the equal protection of the laws. You can't own people, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so you know, people can't, you know, that would be superior right. Where if one person can own another person, then they don't have equal protection of the laws. So, so, so slavery is 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 illegal. But what if a country, you know, passes? How about Algeria? Let's just pick a country. I, don't, I just thought of them because we have listeners in Algeria. If Algeria passed a law that slavery was legal, um, would there be anything any other country could do about it? No. Yeah. Well, well African just... countries where your hook, your wife and child is your property. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, the Western concepts don't always apply around the world. So I've got some. Yes, you do. Yeah. 
Yeah. I got a bunch of different cases here. So the, the big cases that, that are going on right now, we've talked affirmative action. We've got Colorado free speech. We've got Texas immigration, which we really haven't talked about too much. And we've got the student loan thing. Any of those strike your interest? Well, I'm happy to see that uh, the court said what they said they said on affirmative action because really, and see, that could not apply in construction. It only, and in, in, uh, Harvard drew up some rules for his school, like it was giving black kids 300. Why would you give a kid 310 points and then subtract from another kid because of their ethnicity and skin color? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and the one you that you're giving the points, then what does that mean to them? It stigmatized them. I wouldn't mm-hmm. hire anybody that was falsely uh, allowed to, to gain. And you know the funny thing about it, even though that you gave them the points, the ones that you subtracted the points from still outscore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Well, let's talk about uh, Judge Jackson on the Supreme Court. She's a black woman. She was appointed because she's a black woman because Brandon, the insurrectionist, said that he was going to appoint someone to the Supreme Court who was a black woman. She went to Harvard. Harvard has a racist affirmative action policy. So the first thing all of us thought, me included, is that not only did she have to recuse herself because she went to Harvard, and it's one of the parties to the case, but she also had to recuse herself. Yeah, she received something. Because she she got affirmative action. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she she received the extra points before she sat down and took the test, probably. Mm -hmm. Right. So does she not... Has she not lowered the quality of the Supreme Court because she's an affirmative action judge? She's lowered not, the quality of the Supreme Court because if her qualification was based on a test, and on the test they gave her points before she even started the test, yes, her, her qualification is drastically lowered. Yeah. Well, you notice that you never see her in the, her in the news with a startling judicial revelation or a great something. They never quote her. They always quote, when they quote liberals, they quote Sotomayor or Kagan. Well, you know, somebody needs to, somebody mm-hmm. needs, some shock job needs to say these things where population can hear it. Where millions of people are listening. She's I'm working on flawed, it. She's, she's, a, she, she's a flawed justice because she is where she is because of Harvard's contrived Affirmative action program. So that's interesting. That what the, so what are the repercussions? So if the Harvard affirmative action program has been ruled illegal, right? It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if the uh, if the products of those affirmative action folks. I don't know. Let's look up. A, let me look up famous quotes from uh, Justice Jackson. Although I, she's really Judge Jackson. Let's call famous legal. You quote. know who you know who could put an impact on her is when people say that we don't want her to hear our case because we don't think she's qualified. That'd be interesting. That's uh, why. That's how you had some patients. Some patients with in a hospital um, surgery until it became better known that. Those that was well, it became better known to qualify. Some people say we didn't want a black doctor. Yeah. So, so wait a minute. I've got. Reason. I thought she recused herself from that opinion. 
she should have because she received something from affirmative action, especially the most gross, the grievous way is being given points before you sit down and take the test. And yeah. in the same action, to deduct from another ethnic group, another ethnicity, before they take the test in the form hmm. of Asians. Asians was uh, deducted, what, 140 points? So that if 1,600 is the uh, perfect score, an Asian would have to score 1,740. And then, yeah. too, you know, uh, SAT score with the, I can't think of the word for it. It used to be 2,400 was the perfect score. Now it's 1,600. Index. Yeah. No, when, yeah. I, when I took the test, there were 1,600. Yeah. Okay, I guess she didn't recuse herself. I thought she was supposed to. But if it's a 63 decision, she, did, she didn't. I'm not sure. Well, it says here that uh, in she the gonna, case. Then she's going to jump on Clarence Thomas. You know <laughs> what she said? What she said about Clarence Thomas? You know, then you know what to, to think is that somebody schooled her on that conversation, on those points. Oh, hmm. she had already talked about it. So, yeah, go get him. Go get that Clarence. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, well, I got an article comes, here. Everything comes out in the wash. <laughs> Well, I mean, there are those that are pulling the strings and those that are doing the speaking. So here's the end thing. Justices Clarence and Brown criticize each other in unusually sharp language in affirmative action cases. Let's see what this one says. Supreme Court's landmark ruling Thursday on affirmative action pitted as two black justices against each other. Well, isn't that interesting? So all black people don't think alike. With the ideologically opposed right. jurists employing sharp language. Okay, yeah. That's so the, the majority. And they yeah. say that Clarence Thomas uh, pull the ladder up after he benefited from affirmative action. I don't know how, how Clarence Thomas benefited from affirmative action, but yeah. Clarence Thomas was pretty bright. He didn't have to go that route. They go after people that they know that uh, is good, basically. I don't know. I can't see it. I know it couldn't work in my industry because there's no way you're going to get uh, – test on something that you got to physically show that you know what you're doing and able to do it efficiently and have high productivity. Just knowing you that you can do it doesn't mean that you can, got, can uh, stay because your productivity may be lower than what's expected or necessary, shall I say. Huh. Interesting. Um. I'm just quick skimming this, this title here. And it's interesting that uh, the court said something, you know, Clarence Thomas said something very clear. The colleges can't take race into consideration. I mean, that's pretty obvious to what she said, and nothing's really all that determined. She says, uh, she says Justice Thomas ignites too many more straw men to do list. So in other words, she has no argument. Then she says the takeaway is that those who demanded that no one think about race uh, refuse to see much less solve for the elephant in the room, race-linked disparity that continue to impede achievement of our great nation's full potential. So what, what the left says, and this has been talked about before, that the only way that black people can get ahead is with affirmative action. So th- if that's the case, then they must believe black people are in, they need affirmative action. And well, it's stigmatizing. Yeah. It's stigmatizing uh, blacks when they in positions that you never ever seen them before, possibly. Yeah. But she doesn't make any legal arguments. 
Say, uh, say that again. Well, like airline pilots. In what way? There's a time when you never saw one. So I never seen an entire pilot? black. I never seen an entire black uh, crew, airline crew, Who's... until I flew on Ethiopian Airlines. Huh. Well, you do now. It's like you might have a whole yeah, black woman crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now here's a question for you, because military pilots, especially 60s and 70s, they all came out of Vietnam. Uh, weren't most of the pilots white men who the military was training who were selecting to be pilots? I mean, I know we had the Tuskegee Airmen in World War II, but they weren't the majority of the pilots. No, so how they were the pilots majority were, of pilots. How many black pilots were and coming out of the military? Thing, Certainly weren't any women pilots coming out of the military. Well, you know, there's a black female that flies the U-2. Uh-huh. Well, that's cool. She died. Well, we had Wendy Rogers on the show. She's a state senator from Arizona. She was one of the first women Air Force pilots. Now, I don't think, I don't know if she flew combat or not. I knew she flew transport and uh, business jet things, like a Learjet or something. But she's still an Air Force pilot. Well, you think that she's the first – you think that in a dog fight that every male pilot would want to shoot her down, that way he would be able to have the title? I shut down the first female <laughs> first woman. combat pilot. Mm-hmm. Well, my my thought was we should have entire units of women because then, uh, you know, if they if they lose, we can say, well, you only defeated our women. And if they win, we can say, look, even our women can beat you. So either way, it works. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having too much fun. Then they, yeah. then they would say that you used a racist speech. That was racist? I thought that was sexist. That's what they would. <laughs> well, everything's racist. Well, yeah. well here's something. Let me get one more quote yeah. from, from Jackson, who does not use legal arguments. This is something I've just determined. The CNN article talks about, uh, you know, straw men, too many to list. It talks about uh, the elephant in the room. These aren't legal arguments. Then she says, in her broadest dissent, Jackson said that the argument made by the challenges that affirmative action programs are unfair blinks both history and reality in ways too numerous to count. So in other words, she can't actually list an example. She says there are too many examples she, to list. Did she mention Clarence Thomas by name? Uh, I think I'm getting that part. I think she did, didn't she? She says, while Jackson recused herself from the Harvard case, she did hear the University of North Carolina case. Okay, so that's what happened. She did recuse herself from Harvard. But because the, the judges voted on, on all of them, says, and her dissent was focused on the latter. Okay. Then she says, Thomas then explicitly attacks Jackson's opinion. So he attacked her. I don't see any place that she specifically attacked him. I don't think she really I thought she good. attacked him. That's what I thought too, but I can't find any place where she did. To say too many straw men and too many arguments to list. Or then it blinks both history and reality. I thought she said that Thomas had too many straw men. <clears throat> but that would be no, she, a uh, case of bad behavior. Yeah. Well, then it says that our country has never been colorblind. Well, what, is it, what, what does that mean to have a, a colorblind society and law? I'm, not, I'm never quite sure on that concept. That race well, is taken into account, which is... Any, see, that's another thing that they do. They try to combine a conflict, government, and people action. Hmm. 
see the when she's see she's trying to say that the, that there's some government policy that's written someplace that specifically say you have to hire somebody with a particular skin color. Only person yeah. done that lately is uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Let me take another case that uh, hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Uh, and folks, if you're wondering why we're spending so much time in the Supreme Court, it's because this is the time of year when they issue all their opinions. And so, uh, and, and I mentioned this in the first hour, that people don't realize how profoundly we're all affected by the Supreme Court. I mean, affirmative action affects everybody. Either you get a benefit you shouldn't have, or you receive a penalty that you shouldn't have. And in my case, being a white dude, I received penalties all my life, my working life in this country, because um, I was, uh, you know, if someone is granted something they don't deserve under affirmative action, it has to be taken from someone who might uh, deserve that position, and that could be me, the white guy. And so, I mean, how many jobs have I lost because I was a white guy, uh, or how many have I lost because I wasn't qualified? I don't care if I lose a job because I'm not qualified. That's, that's life. That's how it works. You just need to be better qualified. Yeah, if I make the baseball team, right? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, well, actually, Jordan, you know, sports. sports Michael Jordan, he, was, uh, he did make the team at uh, one time, one year. What did he do? He went and improved on himself. That's actually a great story. I wasn't familiar with that. Was that early on in his career or in college or, or what, what was the case? I don't think he made the college team, but it might have been before college. So you improved. That actually makes that sense. The, well, you know, you know, it's interesting when I, my musical career, um, I love playing the trumpet and I sucked at it. I was terrible. I, I had like an octave range. I couldn't do anything on it. But uh, so the director says, uh, okay, well, we're going to switch you over to tuba. I'm like, oh, okay. But then I loved it and I got really good at it. So sometimes you change direction, you change things, and you might discover something you're really good at. And I worked really hard at it. And that's how I got a tuba solo that was supposed to be a trombone solo in college. So I worked my ass off, and I played better than other people. You know, same thing with radio, There's same thing with guitar. Out. What's that? There was a movie out of a black college band team that everybody didn't make it and tried to make it. Oh, I Drumline? Can't think of the name. Drumline? Drumline, yes. That's a great film. I love that film. All, mm-hmm. all us band geeks love that film. But it's interesting that the very arrogant drummer didn't make the team, uh, not be, uh, didn't make the band, not because he wasn't a good player, he was exceptionally good, but because he couldn't read music. He didn't follow the rules. And that's a very interesting and film. Now, but, re- so how did he get on in that position, couldn't read music? He learned to read music. He took you special, said he uh, couldn't read music, didn't he? Right. Uh, but, but you can learn to read music. I mean, no, no, no one's born learning how to read music. I can read music. You know, I, I do it yeah, but if you go to try out for a musical position and you can't meet, read the music sheet mm-hmm. that applies to the instruments that you're, blowing, uh, you're using, then you shouldn't mm-hmm. get that position. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what, what happened. What are you going to play about, sound? But what he did was he learned, but he was one of the best drummers in, instinctively. You know, there's a lot of musicians that can't read music. Tons of them. They're fabulous because they play intrinsically. Now, I can read music, but the whole point of playing guitar and switching from tuba is because I didn't like re- reading music. It was too restricting. I want to play my own stuff. Same with radio. Why do I have my own radio program as opposed to working for a station where I, where I follow their format? Because I can't follow their format. They're boring. They suck. 
but there's more money in it because you're following the program and the, and the managers are happy and the advertisers are happy and everybody's happy except me. I wouldn't be happy, but I improved. You know, I, I got really good at one instrument. I worked harder than other people. And because I worked harder than other people at their instrument, I got a solo that was designed for trombones and I got it on tuba. That's simply merit. I was just a better player. I'm louder too. A lot louder. <laughs> that was kind of funny actually. All right. So why? Would seven members of the, or eight members of the court side with Brandon, who's an illegal president, uh, on, on immigration from Texas? What is, what is this fascination that uh, the federal government has for saying that uh, only the federal government can deal with immigration or illegal aliens and then not specifically not deal with it? It's kind of a weird thing. Um, let me read the opinion well, here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. All right, so there's a Washington Examiner. Not that long ago, June 23rd, so it's like last week or a week before, Supreme Court sides 8-1 to one with Biden on Texas challenge to immigration policies. So the Supreme Court on Friday had handed uh, insurrectionist Brandon, my words, a victory in a major immigration decision upholding the president or their efforts to prioritize some unauthorized immigrants for arrest and detention over others. Let me translate that. Illegal Brandon, uh, through Mayorkas, the Secretary of uh, um, Homeland Security, the guy that runs the border, uh, said that they're only going to prosecute illegal aliens who have done really horrendous crimes. The rest of them, they're not going to prosecute. Well, that goes against equal protection, too. Because if it's a crime, if if it's a crime... A crime is a crime. A crime is a crime. So if you steal $5 from a 7-Eleven, is that any worse than stealing $20,000 from a 7-Eleven? Well, yeah, the degree, but is that not both robbery? Do we not prosecute? Well, let's put it like this. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if the cash register is open and you reach in and take out a five rather than take out a 20, mm-hmm. is that, and then you put it back, is that not deceit? That's theft by deceit. Well, if you put it back, is it still a crime? Yes, because you stole it. Would it be prosecuted? Probably not. Because you put it back. You well, know, it I mean, can't. well, it should be. One action precedes the other. You had to steal it first before you could put it back. And the crime that it committed was stealing it. Yes. There's no... There's no if you steal a million dollars, is the court going to tell you, well, if you paid a million dollars back, you don't have to go to jail? No, okay. not. That's a, and that's a perfect okay. metaphor for illegal aliens. So if illegal aliens come here um, and uh, start a family illegally, uh, start a business illegally, uh, and then 20 years from now, you know, they're, they're pillars of society, are they allowed to keep their house and business and everything else? No, because it was all gained illegally. <laughs> you know, they're still criminals. You know, being a good person, it's like if you, if you steal a million dollars and become a philanthropist and give a quarter of it away for, for you know, to, to uh, the Salvation Army, does that mean you can keep the other three quarters of a million? No. You're still a criminal, you know. So you, you can't make up for actions. You can't buy your way into citizenship with the ITIN number. You know, you can't be here so long that all of a sudden, you know, you can stay. I mean, that's, that's, uh, what that does is victimize everybody else in the country that is here legally. 
Let me read you more of this decision. It says, the, the H-1 decision by Brett Kavanaugh, the majority held that Republican officials in Louisiana and Texas lacked the standing to sue against the Biden policy. So we've talked about standing. Jonathan talked about it. I talked about it in the first hour. Standing is a mythical thing where the court says that in Article 3 for a case to be valid, that the parties have to prove actual injury to themselves, not just that a law was broken um, or that they have a claim against the Constitution, um, and, that, uh, and the court basically uses that to deny cases they don't like or they think they're going to lose, I think. So, so they said that Texas and Louisiana couldn't sue for this policy of not deporting illegal aliens unless they committed a severe enough crime uh, to warrant them being deported. But just being in the country illegally is a crime. It is a crime. Yeah. So Kavanaugh says the states essentially want the federal judiciary to order the executive branch to alter its arrest policy so as to make more arrests. Okay, what's wrong with that? <laughs> what Louisiana and them should do is get rid of them themselves. And like uh, Abbott yep. was doing, taking them to another state. Well, you should just dump them back at the then border. Build, then build a federal government. Yeah. But you know what they should do also is ask that forfeiture, any illegal alien, like that whole Colony Ridge thing we talked about. I agree. That should be the entire thing. You know what to do? Take the assets from them and give it to some, the homeless. Yeah. Well, you take the assets not only from the the entire Colony Ridge colony, but also from the company that loans the money. All those folks. Because they were complicit in the illegal activity. Yeah, in the same way that you now, can the see the company. What you want to do in order yeah. to put your double dare out there is give mm-hmm. it to somebody who's complaining they don't have it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's say that Hilton Hotels has illegal aliens working in their restaurants and washing dishes, which they probably do, right? You could seize the entire Hilton Hotel chain for harboring fugitives, for aiding and abetting felonies for letting people work who can't work in this country and can't even be in this country for harboring criminals. You could take the entire Hilton hotel chain and they probably should be if they're, if they have illegal aliens, uh, any fast food chain nationwide that it has illegal aliens working, that whole thing can be seized. You know, Catholic charities that uh, even though the government's giving them money for illegal aliens, they're still breaking the law. Catholic charities should be seized. This is how you stop this kind of behavior. You know, Bank the of America. Yeah, I don't the care fines how many companies. The fines in the law, those fines, if he turned around and gave those fines to some uh, something of need, then what the argument is going to be? Now you're pitting one against the other. Yeah. Here's, uh, and I recommend people, highly recommend people actually read the cases. Now I have them here, but they take a while to go through because they're usually too long with too many court citations and, or case citations and things like that. I've got them here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm incorporating what I've read into what I'm talking about here. So let me read you some more from this Washington Examiner. I really love the Washington Examiner. I think it's one of the best sources. New York Post for New York, Washington Examiner for New York, for Washington are the best sources. So the article says that issue is the case uh, from September 2021, a memorandum from Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is an unbelievable criminal, uh, that focused on enforcement of, of, this as immigrants, who pose a threat to national security, what it should say is illegal aliens of national security, public safety, or border security. The administration, that would be the Brandon insurrection, said it wants to prioritize those immigrants, read illegal aliens, for removal because it lacks the resources to remove everyone in the country illegally. Well, yeah, because there's 30 million illegals. That's going to cost a lot of money. That's why you use asset forfeiture. So their argument is 
that there are so many illegal aliens in this country that we only have the money to get rid of the worst of them. And Texas well, and Louisiana well, said that's not. Who's who's determined that it's worst? If somebody steals $25 from you or somebody come up and crack your skull, which is worse? Yeah. They're both crimes. One's an assault, the other's a robbery. Yes. The thing is that the, the stepping across the line is when you became illegal. Yeah. The minute you cross that the country is, illegally. Mm-hmm. That itself is a crime. Mm-hmm. And every day you're here as an illegal, you make a conscious choice to remain here as illegal. That is another crime, like an additional bank robbery. It's an additional count against you. So if you're here for five years, what's five times three and a 65? Uh, 16, so AOC yeah. is saying that Congress needs to reel in the Supreme Court. Well, maybe it should and tell the Supreme Court what it cannot. Well, they can rule on it. But tell the Supreme Court the state don't have to follow that because you're overstepping. You're trying to get the federal government to overstep its bounds. Right. Are you suggesting that the federal government overstep its bounds? Well, you can suggest it and you can encourage it, but you can't. You can't mandate it or demand it, or you can't. You shouldn't be able to get something in in uh, in court. You're absolutely right. They can't mandate. So what the court's going to do is mandate that uh, Brandon uh, that the states do this, the states do that. They can't mandate. The federal government can't overstep its bounds when it comes to the state because now you are flipping the script. The power comes from the state. Yeah. Yeah, it should. Let me read you more of this. So, so Kavanaugh's opinion, uh, he says that uh, he signaled that there may be more Congress could do to address the overall complaint in the suit, suggesting that, quote, other forms may remain open for states to voice their concerns, adding, we do not opine on whether any such actions are appropriate in this instance. So they're basically just saying we don't want to handle it. So That's they, going they, too far from him. That's bad yeah. behavior because yeah. he's not supposed to just He's not supposed to give an alternative to what they already found was wrong. Here's another one, too. It says, Sam Alito fired the lone fiery dissent against a decision authored by his Republican-appointed colleague. He stated, I would not blaze this unfortunate trail. I would simply apply settled law, which leads ineluctably, ineluctably, anyway, leads to the conclusion that Texas has standing. So, again, Texas does have the right to sue because these laws are not being enforced because Texas is being burdened by all these illegal aliens. And if they're only going to get rid of a select few because they say that's all they can afford, that's not good enough. That's why Texas sued. They have to enforce the law. Can a citizen sue City Hall because they're not enforcing their own ordinances on the book? Uh, That's a good question. I think one of the problems is that um, City Hall has to consent to be sued. See, government has, government's the only thing I know that has to consent to be sued, which is crazy because the whole point of a lawsuit is well, you're going against people that sued. don't want to be sued. What's that? Yeah, City Hall can be sued because City of East St. Louis was sued by a, by a uh, prisoner, and the court awarded oh. him to City Hall. Wow. Well, there you go. So yeah. if, if, if citizens can sue their own City Hall, Yep. For malfeasance, then states should be able to do the same thing to the federal government. 
Well, yeah, they should, but and they they can according to the Constitution. See, Jonathan read that earlier. He was he said this is this is something I'd never heard before. He's talking about Article Three, which says the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States, the treaties made or which shall be made under their authority. Then you got a semicolon and a dash. So that's the that's the main operating clause. Then it says to all cases affecting ambassadors, other other public ministers and consuls, yada 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 yada. And then it says, to all cases in admiralty, yeah. Then you have a semicolon and a dash. And then it says, after a semicolon and a dash, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party. So anytime the United States is a party, as it was in the Texas and Louisiana case, the court has to take it. So we well, talked that about was under a different, uh, That was under a different article on the issues with Texas. No, same thing. Article 3, Section 2. States. Well, that's, that's the next one. So after it says controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states. So what Jonathan said was that the, uh, the ability to or the Congress has to take all cases in law and equity arising under the Constitution. In other words, with the constitutional question. And then he says that it says later to controversies between two or more states or between state and citizens of another state or between the United States. He said that, that uh, in order to qualify understanding, under the concept of standing, the case has to be uh, also, a, a, first of all, a case and have a controversy. Well, that's not true because they combine two things that, that are not related. The only reason they use controversy is well, they could have legal disputes between Well, the controversy has existed before it becomes a case. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, what, that's, what, that's why it becomes a case because there's a controversy. But to say that a thing has to be, uh, you know, a case in law and equity under the Constitution and a controversy – in order to have standing, in other words, and then to say that, uh, well, you have to be personally affected. If you're not personally affected, you don't have standing. That's crazy. Because then they can make up the rules as they go. Let me read the, the I get to, something I want to talk about in a couple of minutes, uh, sort of finish up today. Now, tomorrow, just to let everybody know, we do have our reading of the Declaration of Independence. It's just going to start right at 7 a.m. Central Time, and then we're going to have a discussion of the state of our liberty. We've got some really interesting people. I'm purposely not announcing it because I want you to listen because we've got some cool things going on tomorrow. It must be a very, very uh, exciting uh, show. All right, so here's, here's Alito's dissent. So every other judge in the Supreme Court said that the government is perfectly within their rights to not arrest illegal aliens unless the government says they've committed a serious enough crime uh, that they can afford to arrest them. <laughs> you know, and what the government can afford is based on the budget. And that there is dumb. These people yeah. must be senile. Uh, yeah. Well, here's what Alito says. He says, the court holds Texas lacks standing to challenge a federal policy that inflicts substantial harm on the state and its residents by releasing illegal aliens with criminal convictions for serious crimes. In order to reach this conclusion, the court brushes aside a major precedent that directly controls the standing question, refuses to apply or establish tests for standing, disregards factual findings made by the district court after trial, and holds that the only limit on the power of the president to disobey a law like the important provision at issue, is Congress's power to employ the weapons of interbranch warfare, <laughs> withholding funds, impeachment, and removal. I would not blaze this unfortunate trail. I would simply apply settled law, which leads ineluctably, you know, I'm not sure what they were, I-N-E-L-U-C-T-A-B-L-Y, uh, to the conclusion that Texas has standing. He's the only person that says Texas has standing, right? So the court has long applied a three-part test to determine whether a plaintiff has standing to sue. These are interesting. Jonathan would be proud of us for going over this. One, the injury has to be concrete and particularized. I guess it's to the individual person and real. Two, fairly traceable to the challenged action. 
okay? And three, likely to be redressed by a favorable decision. So in other words, you, you have to be able to benefit from the decision before you can bring the lawsuit. That's crazy. So standing is this mystical concept. Well, each and every one of those Texas was was legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, each was, and every one was legitimate. Well, let's go over concrete and particularized. The uh, state of Texas is victimized by every illegal alien that's in the state of Texas. That's concrete. Right. And it's particularized. Because okay. They, and, and we can go from one thing, from taking jobs to committing crime. Like the uh, one black man out there in uh, Jamil, his son mm-hmm. was killed by illegal who had been in the system mm-hmm. several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably deported. He should have been. If he hadn't oh, been listen. in the country, if, listen, if, if he hadn't been in the country to kill his son, and if he had been deported or dealt with the previous times that he came in contact with the law before mm-hmm. he killed his son, then mm-hmm. his son may have never been killed. Oh, listen, I've met, him, people, anyway. yeah, I've met people in the course of uh, doing action radio whose kids were killed by illegal aliens. So I know you, you look into their eyes, they're hurt, you know, because it never should have happened. You know, I mean, people realize accidents happen, tragedies happen, bad things happen. But when bad things happen for no reason, that's when people get upset. Here's the next one. Fairly traceable to the challenged action. I think it's directly traceable to the challenged action. The action says we're not prosecuting illegal aliens. We're going to let them stay here unless they've committed crimes so serious that we have to deport them. Well, just being here is a crime. Well, really, that, that uh, point is that they mm-hmm. don't show up to court on the court mm-hmm. date. Yeah. Well, no, just the fact that they're in the country, that the fact that uh, the federal government doesn't remove them, doesn't enforce the court dates, doesn't enforce anything, and probably still gives them welfare, you know, benefits and things like that. And the last one was really weird, likely to be redressed by a favorable decision. So you can't sue unless you're going to win. Likely to be, likely to be redressed. Say it again. Redress is fixed, corrected. So if you redress grievances, that means the grievances have been satisfied. So it's the third test of standing is that it is likely that your case, you can bring your case if it's redressed oh, yeah. by a favorable decision. In other words, so, well, it would so, be. Well, that's, yeah. that's every case. People don't bring a case that they don't think is going to be favorable to them. That would be stupid. That's in every case. So yeah. he's showing his weakness by what he just put out there. It's funny how you get these people enough lying and hang themselves. Well, it's also not that tough to read these opinions. I mean, how many people actually read the Supreme Court opinions on the air? We do. Because they're not that hard to understand. So he says, nevertheless, the United States, the defendant in this case, has urged us, and of course that automatically makes them a, you have to take it. If the United States is a defendant in the case, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, Article 3, they have to take the case. No question. But they don't, because they made up new rules. It says the United States uh, has urged us to put this framework aside, in other words, the three tests, uh, and adopt a striking new rule. At argument, the Solicitor General was asked whether it is the position of the United States, in other words, the federal government, that the Constitution does not allow any party to challenge a president's decision not to enforce laws he does not like. What would happen, the Solicitor General was asked, if a president chose not to enforce the environmental laws or the labor laws? Would the Constitution bar an injured party from bringing suit? 
And then the, the federal government rep said, that's correct under this court's precedence, but the framers intended political checks in that circumstances. She says, you know, if, if an administration did something that extreme and said, we're just not going to enforce the law at all, then the president would be held to account by the voters. And Congress has tools at its disposal as well. So then Alito says, thus, according to the United States, in other words, the federal government, even if a party clearly meets our three-part test for Article Three standing, of course, that's illegal too, the Constitution bars that party from challenging a president's decision not to enforce the law. Congress wields well, that, I, what the... Go ahead. That's scapegoat, scapegoat about the voters is flawed yeah. because these illegal aliens would be able to vote. They're voting. They and give he says, driver's oh, license, driver's license, form an ID that establish residency. Residency is what you need to show in order to become, get on the voters' yeah. roll. Yeah. Well, in the last part, it says that uh, Congress and the American people, under the Solicitor General's you know, argument, would have to wait until the president's term is over to challenge anything. Well, that's BS, too. You've got to be able to challenge them every day. So let me change gears a little bit. I want to talk about this tomorrow. Tomorrow is July 4th. Tomorrow we're going to celebrate our independence. And my contention is we're not independent. We are under a coup. We are under a tyrannical government selected by the government to rule over us. That we, the people, cannot in good conscience celebrate independence because we don't have it. Although a few of us are fighting to get it back by writing the law that would give us our independence from the tyranny, from the coup, that way too many people tomorrow are going to brag about being the land of the free and the home of the brave when we're not. Are going to brag about this is the greatest country in the world because we're free and independent because we're not. So the whole thing to me is a big farce. Now, we're still going to go ahead and read the Declaration and talk about the state of our liberty. But the state of our liberty is we don't have any or very little. Now, the Supreme Court is, is, a, is the exception right now because they're actually making good decisions based on our Constitution using the principles of the republic to which we are, not a democracy. Like democracy is a threat to the republic and therefore a threat to the United States. That's why we're not a democracy. But can we in good conscience allow these people to, to brag about being the land of the free and the home of the brave when in fact we're under a tyranny right now? That to me seems the ultimate well, we hypocrisy. Are. And we celebrate Supreme Court action on correcting something they never should have done in the first place. Which one? Which case are we talking about? You can just about take any of them. Yeah, that's true. They All had right. no business. They had no business uh, going along with the idea of, of uh, using race as a determinant, skin color as a determinant. Well, they it, had no business uh, favoring one one skin color over another, like they do in Minnesota, where they lay off the white teachers first. Well, the the court. I think we've pretty much agreed on this, that when they're doing the right thing to, to overturn illegal government policies, they're doing the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing when they uphold the illegal government policies. So they've right. overturned student loans for now. Ooh. That was an illegal government policy. They could, they could not bre- breach the contract of everybody. Texas but what immigration. They, doing that, no. what they went wrong is when they gave a suggestion of the get around. That's wrong. That's bad behavior. Well, let me look up. I think I've done this before. So, who did stand? You said that there's a member of Congress who actually had a stand for bad behavior. No, that's what the that's what the Constitution says for getting rid of judges. 
They yep. serve under good behavior. Right? So when they commit bad behavior, they can't serve no more. Well, they have to be impeached. They have to be removed. So let's find out what good behavior is. Let's see what, uh, let's see what comes up. I think I've looked this up before. Good behavior clause, doctrine and practice. This will be from my favorite source, the Cornell Law School. Yeah, this is the meaning of the good behavior clause has been the subject of long-standing debate. Shouldn't be. Some have argued that the phrase denotes an alternative standard of removal for federal judges beyond high crimes and misdemeanors that normally may give rise to the impeachment of federal officers. That makes sense. Others have rejected this notion, reading the good behavior phrase, simply to make clear that federal judges retain their office for life unless they are removed by the proper constitutional mechanism. Well, that's not true. However, while one might find some support in early 20th century practice for the idea that the clause constitutes an additional ground for removal of a federal judge, the modern view of Congress appears to be that good behavior does not establish an uh, an independent standard for impeachable conduct. What a lot of BS. That's why um, that is another reason to support, and I've said that before, that's why each state needs to appoint a judge for a term. After that term, well, they got to go. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put a judge on the court from each state, but what I would do, this is something that we actually would bill you? on this. Because it's too cumbersome, too crazy, um, and I don't think it, it's. No, it's uh, I don't think crazy. it's constitutional. Nothing... Okay, so well, the... why is it too crazy to put thirteen on? Why is it, it is too crazy. crazy to put thirteen on? What well, is too crazy? It's too many judges. What we really need, I would like to go back to six. Well, if you look at other countries, they got that many judges. Yeah, well, that's other countries. All right, now remember, you used. That scapegoat, that's other countries in this particular case. Mm-hmm. But in some other discussion, you're going to say, well, that country does this, this country does that. Yeah. Well, it's probably case by case. You know, in other words, is it good for our country? You know, Europe has a European Union. Should we be part of a North American Union because Europe does it? I would say no. Well, is it good for a state that they have their own appointment? We want to say that the state legislatures can should point uh, the state the U.S. senator. Well, Congress could do that. You know, they could they could say, okay, we're going to expand the court, and we're going to include a a representative judge from every state onto the Supreme Court. So we're going to go to fifty nine. <laughs> okay, they could do that. I don't think it's a good idea. States can do it. States can do it too through the amendment of the Constitution. Well, the states, so what the states can do that I think might make more sense is that, they, that their Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, review the decisions of the federal Supreme Court and see if they apply to their state. Well, then that's going against the wording in the Constitution because the state Supreme Court is inferior to the Supreme Court. But is, states is it? can. No, it's not. No, no, no. Only where states the United States has authority. Then why do appeals go up? Why do, do, why do appeals go up to the Supreme Court? Only, run, only, only federal, only federal appeals go up. State appeals. If you if you lose in the state, uh, if you lose in the state supreme court, you don't immediately go to the federal court. I think you can if it's a national principle. I'm not sure exactly. That's a good question. That's a, that's like a Jonathan question. Well, let's look at the supremacy clause because people misquote it all the time. We remember we went over that just the other day. 
Uh, I think it's in Article 6. And if that's, if that's true, like you say, then that just reinforces my argument. Well, Is see, that, I would like to uh, see, yeah. I don't want more judges. But I think the states should be able to, Article 6, all right, here's Article 6. Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof. So in other words, the Constitution, take that as separate. The laws of the United States that are made from the Constitution, in other words, constitutional laws, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States. Uh, this is the key here, under the authority of the United States. Well, when they say the United States, they really mean the federal government. In other words, the states have delegated the power through the Constitution to the federal government. So what is under the authority of the United States? Only what's in the Constitution, only the delegated powers. So I don't think the, the Supreme Court in Article 3 was delegated power over the state Supreme Courts. It wasn't. Now, well, it can, shouldn't be because that's putting the, that's turning things around backwards. Yeah. But I'm but, saying that in order for it to be, I, I, I'm saying that uh, each state should be able to place through a process that uh, affords a term, mm-hmm. a judge for the Supreme Court, that, yep. because that judge would uh, support, represent that state. Yeah. More so than a president. The president is, well, people say that they're popularly elected. Well, they're not. But they're, no, they're not. popularly approved. States elect the president. The states collectively elect yeah, the president. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's states individually. States should elect yeah. the president, and they should yeah. be able to place a judge on the court. Well, here's what we get. This, I think we get away with the president stuff. And that's the crap that the. <laughs> AOC is talking about would go away. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, but here's the one. It says, um, the supreme law of the land is laws made under the Constitution where the United States has authority, which is basically where the, where the Congress, uh, where the federal government's delegated authority by the Constitution. Then it says, uh, shall be the supreme law of the land. Then it says, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. They're not bound by everything the federal government does. They're only bound by the Constitution, the laws made under the Constitution, where the United States, in other words, the federal government has authority. So the Tenth Amendment says... You would have says, been a good lawyer. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I would have been a great lawyer. So the Tenth Amendment says those powers not delegated to the federal government are outside the authority of the United States. So the state Supreme Courts are supreme to, en- to anything not specifically delegated to the federal government or the Constitution. So the Constitution is supreme. It's like the Bill of Rights, per the 14th Amendment, is supreme over the states. In other words, the states cannot violate our first, second, third, fourth, et cetera, amendments. They can't. Judges in every state are bound by that. But they're not bound by areas where the federal government has no jurisdiction because the states have jurisdiction there. So this is why I don't want a bunch of states appointing federal judges to the Supreme Court. I want the state courts ruling on whether the federal government had standing <laughs> to rule over them. That would be interesting. They could, they could take the concept of standing and use it themselves. Well, they still could be appointed and still follow that principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just disagree on how – so in other words, we want the same thing, but we disagree on how to get there, which is fine. That's perfectly, uh, perfectly understandable. You should write a book of opinions that sells for $500 a piece. Well, I should have a whole book Mark of our opinion. legislation. Mark hmm. opinion. Um, yeah, I got, I got another book in mind. 
Uh, actually, and I have a book agent now, too, so we're working on that. So things are happening. Trust me, things are happening. You believe the things I've got in my mind. Anyway, so this is an interesting opinion. Um, but uh, the good behavior clause, I'll post this. I'll post the good behavior clause. And uh, see what Thank you think. But good behavior to me is separate from impeachment. See, the judges, and I would argue, here's one for you. I would argue just before we go, that the good behavior standard is higher than impeachment because impeachment is actual breaking of law, high crimes and misdemeanors. That's what you get impeached and removed for. But good behavior is a higher standard because we hold our judiciary to a higher standard because they're supposed to know more, being lawyers, judges, and eventually judges on the Supreme Court. They're supposed to be at the pinnacle of the judicial pyramid, the absolute top in this country. Right. They should know more, but they don't have to be a lawyer. Also, no, when you have a when you have a case, then the decision should pertain to that case, not come up with a but. It can be like Judge Roberts did with the Affordable Health Act. It can't be. It can't come no. under. They want to know well, can this come under the Commerce Clause? He said no. Then that's where you should have stopped. He shouldn't have never yeah. said but. It can be a tax. No, they can't, you know they can't make up policy. Yeah, they can't make up policy and then tell Congress, well, you can do it this way and we'll approve it. No, they can't do that. That's they're, bad behavior. Yep. They're authority. Well, we hold judges to a higher standard. And the higher standard is because they have so much power, they also have much more responsibility, and we hold them to a higher standard. However, there's a whole other area that we're going to get into, and this is ways that Congress can you know, change the court. They can uh, deny them the ability to rule in certain areas. They can change the membership on the court. They can prescribe all kinds of rules and regulations. And one of the rules we should prescribe is a definition of bad behavior. And it would be a higher standard. Go ahead. I think the Constitution should lay out their responsibility. You know, people look at bad behavior, you going out to a whorehouse. But they look at it, right? In some states, it's commerce. (laughs) <laughs> just engaging in commerce. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Uh, and All so right. much of this is subjective. Yeah. Well, tomorrow we got a reading. Um, so I don't have you on the list this year. Hopefully we'll get you next year. But you're certainly welcome to comment, uh, call in and comment once we get our discussion going. Well, I'll stand back and let somebody else take over. Well, that's fine. Uh, we have some good people. We have some new people, too. So it's actually not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I'm not reading. The bad thing that goes on, you got some leaders. Or they stick around too damn long. You need to get out of yeah. the way and let young people, which you're supposed to be doing, set an example for young people to come on and uh, carry on. Well, actually, Brianna is one of our readers tomorrow, so I'll give that away because it's, it's actually during her regular report. So she's one of our readers. So That's she'll be here great. reading. It is great. Yeah. Well, she's kind of our superstar around here anyway. She does more work, uh, I think, than any other reporter on her report, more research. She talks to me more often during the week about different ideas and things to cover. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, I definitely want her uh, uh, in on the reading. And so, uh, but it's an interesting group. You'll, uh, you, you'll probably want to call in. Just, just trust me on that. Hmm. I'll announce who they are tomorrow I'll, as they, uh, as they announce themselves. If I see something, I see something okay. need to be commented on, that's all. Yeah, but definitely I want to raise the question, how can we celebrate our liberty when we don't have it? That's going to be my main topic. But I won't be reading. You know, I you know unless somebody can't make it. Then you got to explain to them why you say they don't have it because they don't know. Well, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And if I fail, if I if I if I don't give it a good a good enough example, then feel free to uh, fill in the gaps. 
And that's what we do. I delegate. This whole show is about encouraging other people to, to do the show, do the bills so that I don't have to. Yeah, that might be it. I started this ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all you folks. Hey, talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, sir. And uh, all have right, a good day. See you later. All right, take care. Here we go. So today, kind of a primer for tomorrow. Um, lots of different things going on. It's going to be very exciting. And, of course, nobody else is going to be live tomorrow, so we will. So tell all your friends, tell all your family that if you want to hear the Declaration of Independence read and the words come alive when they're read, uh, better still that you read it yourself with your own family. Uh, that's a good thing to do. But if you want to hear the words um, really ring, then listen to us tomorrow. A couple things to play for you. And um, let me give the websites again. Blogtalkradio.com slash Citizen Action is our show site. WriteYourLaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, is Write Your Laws is our legislative site. Um, our contribution site, GiveSendGo.com slash Action Radio. And uh, our substack, GregPengelis.substack.com. And my public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. And if you want to help us out and be sponsors, we would certainly appreciate that. And here's how you do uh, that. See you tomorrow at 7 a.m. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60-second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. 
It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs> 